think Louise has kindly done a survey over lunch of um, people's availability and it seems that the best plan of action is to deal with, we'll continue dealing with um, North Uttlesford this afternoon for as long as it takes. We'll then deal with West of Braintree. Clearly we're not going to have time to deal with Eastern Park um, or any element of it um, this afternoon. The best fit seems to be to do it tomorrow afternoon. Um, we're wondering, tomorrow morning might not run the whole morning, um, but it, I think it's probably better just to start the session at two o'clock rather than have people sort of hanging around in the morning in case it, it, um, in case it doesn't happen. Um, so if we start at two, and then it's probably going to take probably most of tomorrow afternoon, I expect. Does anybody want to? <coughs> Can I just come back and say, <coughs> um, you know, what I said to the programme officer was that um, we... We, we, for Eastern Park, that is, um, really get into difficulties after four o'clock tomorrow afternoon. So, that, so it, fine, uh, obviously, um, juggling all these different things. If we start at two o'clock, um, we, we may have to um, order the matters in such a way that we can definitely deal, for instance, with transport at the beginning so that um, Mr Bird, who I know is the first who has to disappear of our disappearing cast, can have his say. Um, uh, and if you're happy, Madam, that we can get through in two, two and a half hours, Eastern Park. Unless we, I mean, would, how would people feel? It just means people sat around in the morning if for maybe a couple of hours, but there is a good chance we'll get through the morning session fairly quickly. Yes. Um, because I think we've just been chatting, a lot of it's probably being covered. You get to the point where lots of it's yes. already been covered in previous topics and people run out of things to say almost and, and we run out of questions to ask. So we could do that. We could just roll it from, from whenever the matter six finishes. If that's, Does anybody have any particular problem with that? I mean people sort of hanging around a little bit. but um, We'd very much support that, obviously, if we could right, start okay. just to roll And on. we're going to start at half past nine in the morning as well still. So, yeah, it might be that sort of by half past eleven sort of time we might be, be able to get on to it after a break or something. So, okay, we'll do that then. So we'll, does that cause you any problems, Louise? Have you told people two o'clock? No. Well, I think maybe if we said 11, because that gives us a... Yeah, I think maybe 11, and then, you know, I think that's probably more realistic, and they might have to hang around a little bit, but... Um, right. 11 o'clock, yeah. Does that seem sensible to Yeah, I was certainly going to suggest that there ought to be a, a not-before-X time rather than just it might be any time because obviously people who don't need to be here until Eastern Park would like to be able to say, right, I've got to be there by a certain time. So if 11 o'clock is what you think, then that's fine. Yes, as I say, it's, it's always difficult to gauge. If we finish at half past 10, we have to have a half an hour break, but we won't start before um, 11 o'clock, and I, I don't think we'll be that quick in the morning. Um, so, yeah. Is that, yeah. Okay, so 11 o'clock. Or, or later. Could I just clarify? Oh, sorry, yes. Then start West of Braintree. Yes, and finish that hopefully today. Are you expecting to finish that today? Hopefully, yes. On the evidence we've seen so far, that doesn't look like... Right, okay, well... I'm just, I'm just trying to think ahead. 
tomorrow. So tomorrow you'll be finishing West of Braintree if we don't finish it tonight. Yeah. There'll be a bit on Matter 6, is that right? That's right, Matter 6 in t entirety, yeah. And then start Eastern Park. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Does anybody else have any concerns about getting through west of Braintree this afternoon? Does that seem like an unrealistic... People know what they want to say more than we know what they want to say, kind of. It's... Sorry. Yeah, possibly, hopefully not. That's what we're trying to juggle so that we don't have a big gap where people are sort of hanging around. Um including us. That's, um, it's always difficult when we do the programming to know. When we do the timetabling, we don't know how many people are going to attend and then we try and rejig it a little bit. And It's always always a difficult one to, to, to guess, but hopefully not Friday morning. You can maybe plan something nice for that morning. <laughs> okay. Yes? Right. So he's also trying to change a hospital appointment for tomorrow. If that doesn't happen, then I will go through the points he was intending to make. But for our point of view, Friday would be impossible for the sort of participation. So if we could finish tomorrow, that would be very helpful. In, that's our intention, yes. Yeah. It's just a question about falling over into Friday. Yeah, I, yes. Last absolute last resort, but uh, I don't intend to go that far. But as I say, it's, it is always difficult because even now we don't know how much more people want to say on this topic. It's you know. That's fine. Okay, thank you. Madam, if I could say, certainly from the council's point of view, its consultant team, uh, we will have real difficulties if any of uh, today or tomorrow's business were to run over to Friday. So uh, certainly we would be very keen to, to get all matters done today and tomorrow. I agree, yeah. Thank you. Okay, so before lunch, we were up to, I think we just we finished, um, you, Mr. Belton, do you think was next, right? A loose track, sort of who's put the card up next. Thank you, Mark. Uh, given the discussion, I shall be brief uh, that we've just had, but um, I wanted to respond very quickly to um, some comments from Mr. Bedford in response to my submissions this morning, which do now feel quite a long while ago, but um, hopefully you can still remember the gist of my points. Um, Mr. Bedford seemed to be um, coming to the view that our concern may be relating more to a concern that developers may sort of, as he put it, sort of faff around and, um, and drag, their heat, uh, drag their feet. Rather. Um, I just wanted to clarify that wasn't the cause of our concern. Um, and as Mr. Kaddish has subsequently confirmed, um, there are resources in place, both on the promoters and the council side, to progress matters. And indeed, that was very evident from the submissions that have been made and is not a point that we seek to dispute. Um, our concern is that the council has, as of Monday, amended its trajectory, pushing back start times. That change has not been made to build in flexibility uh, in light of comments made in week one, but has been made simply to fit in the required actions uh, in, in a reasonable timeline. Um, and Well, I say reasonable, in, in any timeline, just to physically fit them in. Um, and, and our point is that... Um, 
there is no flexibility left in that trajectory. Um, we are about to embark um, on some very complex processes now, whether it's the preparation of outline applications or indeed the DPD process. And the DPD process, as we know, involves an external examination, the timings of which and the outcomes of which are entirely outside of the control of both the promoters and the council. So having additional resources, whilst helpful, doesn't prevent um, unforeseen problems emerging. And with the trajectory being so tight and with the wider housing trajectory being so reliant on garden communities, our point that we were trying to express this morning is that you really do need, in our view, to be factoring a far greater level of flexibility to ensure that this plan is sound. Mr Shrimplin. Thank you. My, um, uh, my point builds on what uh, Mr Belton said. I'd like to... Uh, uh, support endorse what he said um, and also respond to some of the other comments that have been made in response to this which is uh, point question one and again as Mr Belton said this morning it's applicable uh, equally to all the garden communities um, we uh, have made clear already our great concern that given the importance of delivering the garden communities um, the Council's Local Development Scheme published in October last year did not include a timetable uh, for uh, pr promotion of DPDs. Um, and that was then, uh, a timetable then appeared in week one and has now been updated again today. Uh, and it seems only now with the input of promoters. And that gives us great concern given the importance of delivering uh, those developments. Uh, we spoke yesterday about the importance of defining boundaries and how long that will take. Um, and the examples that were given were not in places where there are uh, three air action plans being produced, let alone three air action plans being produced, sorry, three DPDs being produced uh, at the same time as a local plan. Um, we've made in our uh, Matter 5 hearing statement that there's a lot of work still to do here. There's delivery models to agree. There's a local economic strategy to agree, which is important not just to the garden communities, but to the district as a whole. Master plans, design codes design review by an independent panel uh, and the local plan explains the importance of all of these and they all take time. Um, we note that uh, in the appendix five of the uh, council's matter seven hearing statement they have an updated uh, they produced an updated version of the uh, timetable for the DPDs which had some commentary alongside it. Um, and there are various actions that are supposed to have taken place in June and July. Um, the first, well, to commence DPD preparation, uh, and they have to have agreed statements of common ground and PPAs, and we would question uh, through you, if we may, ma'am, um, uh, how far that work has got, because, of course, that is the, the process should already now be underway. And our concern is that uh, if you we look at uh, document ED44B, which is a letter from Galliard Homes, um, dated 21st of June, um, what that expresses is not that there is a statement of common ground, ground signed or a PPA signed, uh, but there are still ongoing concerns about land capture and community-owned land. Uh, they still want to understand how the community forum will work, and the community forum is supposed to be being consulted in July. Um, document ED48 from Landsec um, is still debating the 
delivery mechanism, which will inevitably have an impact on timescales. So we are concerned that not only have statements of common grounds and PPA not been signed, but the evidence you have before you is indicative that there is ongoing discussion, and that, will, that, that may well be resolved, but it will have an impact upon delivery timescales. Uh, and again, a point that's been made uh, in response to the point made by um, uh, Mr. Bedford again, the point here is not about um, the resources or the willingness of the developers to get on with it. It is about engagement with people, so that you have seen uh, just by the sheer number of local residents and residents groups that have attended over these sessions uh, and spent a not insuperable amount of their own time, there's a great deal of interest in this process and in the DPDs, and they need to be fully engaged and consulted with, and that takes time. That is time beyond the control of the councils. And this is, lest we forget, a plan-led system. It is not a system where we are um, uh, passing responsibility for delivery of these two developers it is a plan-led system and, and putting a sound plan in place that will last for uh, many, many years beyond this plan period. And all of that uh, will affect the trajectory. Thank you. Thank you. To the council, there was some um, discussion, I think maybe, uh, in the first week about where, where you were up to. I don't know if there's any more progress on that. Thank you. Let me just look through this box. Uh, the Council's response to actions six and seven from the previous week um, provides an update on, on the DPD timetables as well as the um, uh, taking into account the trajectories uh, for from Grosvenor. Uh, appendix one to that document, has, which if you recall from, from yesterday, has uh, the, the the uh, timetable on, on the left column uh, with the, the shading indicating uh, the, the timetable previously supplied with, with commentary in the, the third column. Um, so to turn to the points Mr. Shrimplin made um, on uh, consulting the, the forum, um, which originally we said uh, that would be taking place in July. Um, the, uh, the update indicates that the community forum is being set up at the moment and, and does not indicate that we'll be consulting them in July and, and we won't be because they won't be in a, um, we won't be in a position to do that. Uh, I think that was the Whereabouts are you up to with that? What, what, what sort of timescales are you anticipating? We're currently um, setting up the forum. We hope to have people in place in, in July with, with specific appointees um, so that they can be consulted uh, shortly. August, when the first meeting takes place, for example? Or? Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure it would be in August. That would right. depend on, on availabilities. Uh, I'd, it's the holiday period. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to get back to you on that. Okay. So there's no meet. The forum's not formally formulated yet, and there's no meetings in place in a diary yet. Is that fair to say? That yeah. that's fair to say. Okay. Thank you. So your questions, Mr. Shrimpton. Uh, there was. Um, it referred to by then, 
uh, QCP. Is that quarter? Sorry, I can't hear you. Sorry, in the, in the, in the Appendix 5 of the Matter 7 hearing statement, it says statements of common ground and PPA signed. With a, uh, so statements of common ground we're clear on, uh, and they don't exist. And then the question was PPA, which I assume relates to PPA for planning applications. So uh, on the statements of common ground, we do have a statement of common ground with Grosvenor. Um, we, uh, there were versions flying back and forth yesterday of, of a statement of common ground right. with, with Landsec. Um, I'm not 100% sure on how that's going at the moment. Um, but as of yesterday evening, we were hoping to, be, to get one signed very soon. Um, on the reference to the PPA, the, the, the QCP is a quality and collaboration partnership, which is um, included in the plan through the Addendum of Focus Changes, uh, which we consulted on back in October. Um, the Statement of Common Ground with Grosvenor uh, includes a definition of the, what the QCP looks like uh, within it. Okay. So just for clarity, the points which were supposed to be resolved by June, which is the QCP, Statement of Current Ground and PPA, none of them are actually resolved. Uh, and this, this is the first stage, stage of a very, very tight timescale. Uh, and we're already slipping. Uh, and, and we're slipping in terms of the Consult Community Forum. That's consult them in July. They're not even set up. You know, they're not going to meet till September. So uh, uh, that's the point that we have been making consistently and I think it's brought home very vividly there. Thank you. Are there any other points anybody wants to raise? We've kind of started to cover down the questions um, more broadly so I think um, we've probably dealt with one and two. Oh, sorry Miss Hutton you wanted to didn't see your... Uh... I, I am down questions. Right okay. Um, I'll just run through, sort of run through the questions and see where we're up to. So I think one and two we've probably dealt with, unless Miss Hutton wants to raise something on that. Three, the um, employment use. Since I wrote these questions, then there's been an update on that because the council now has figures um, that it's come up with, hasn't it? it? Hasn't identified particular areas, and I think we've covered that on other days as well. That that point. So unless anybody particularly has anything to say on that. Um, the sports strategy, we, we, there is a more up-to-date one, probably even since I wrote this. Um, it's only come out in the last couple of weeks or so, hasn't it? I can't remember yes, exactly when. But. And we've got uh, an agreed statement of common ground with Sport England with a, a few modifications um, to make pr appropriate reference to that uh, latest study. So that's not insurmountable points, I don't think, is it? No. And then we get to the railway stations, which I think we've already covered quite a lot about that. And we also dealt with that yesterday under the, um, the questions I had on, for my own purposes were things that were actually covered yesterday when we talked about the IDP. The genome campus, I think we talked about before lunch. Um, flooding, is that what you wanted? Yeah. And then I think flooding and the airport are matters that have not, we've not got to yet if anybody wants to raise those. Does that seem like a fair... Assessment of where we're at. Okay, Ms. Hutton. Uh, yes, Mum, um, you're, you're right that um, question six was discussed before lunch, and, and it's very clear that the answer to it is no. Um, the reality is that given the likelihood of a decision in the near future, um, your conclusions 
on your interim report following this examination are going to have to be caveated by the fact um, that the cumulative impacts of the welcome genome proposal have not been taken into account. Um, and those impacts are potentially very wide-ranging indeed if it is granted permission because, of course, it goes to the SA because uh, we note that the SEA directive requires cumulative impacts to be assessed at Annex 1, uh, subparagraph 1. And it also, of course, relates to uh, soundness of the plan. Um, it goes to matters we discussed yesterday, the uh, IDP and, and viability. It goes to questions 1 and 2 today, uh, transport being a particular concern, but also there's intervisibility of the two sites. Uh, so it goes to landscape and, and the historic landscape point as well. Um, it also crucially goes to question five because um, in terms of the use of Whittlesford Parkway because the Welcome Genome Campus location is on the same roads as these residents would be using to get to that station and presumably the residents of Welcome Genome will be using that station as well. So uh, it goes to that as well. So it's very clear here that if permission is granted prior to this plan being adopted, um, then that work will need to be done uh, and, um, and taken into account. And it seems to us that the solution uh, in terms of the examination, because it is crucial to the legal compliance in terms of the SA and, and also soundness, would be for there to be... Um, Potentially, we have to keep our, our minds open to a suspension of the examination uh, in order to await that decision because it does go to so many of those matters. And um, there is a real risk of um, that issue not being properly inspected, as it were, through the examination. Thank you. Do the council want to, Mr. Bedford, do you want to make any comment on that? Well, I, made, I repeat the general point that I made earlier in terms of the appropriate uh, way in which you assess these things. And, and so I, just, I, I don't repeat all of those points. I should also perhaps just add that during the um, engagement process of the plan preparation, there was consultation both with Cambridgeshire County Council as the relevant highway authority and with South Cambridgeshire uh, um, District Council as the relevant planning authority. And in their various representations and the communication, they have not suggested that this plan needs to be um, adjusted to model whatever are implications of the genome proposal. So in a sense, um, realistically, uh, it, it isn't appropriate to expect this local planning authority in its plan to do more than engage with its neighbours, to take into account current guidance and to have regard to the current status of um, emerging proposals. Uh, that's what we've done uh, and, and that is appropriate. Thank you. So I think um, there's obviously flooding. I haven't got any questions on flood risk unless anybody's got any particular. Mr. Councillor Bar. 
Yes, I just wanted to um, uh, express the concerns of Sawson Parish Council uh, from the fact that although, um, uh, there, there, there's, um, although I've done quite a bit of searching, I can't find any evidence of a, uh, a holistic study which has looked at the flood risk from the whole of the, north, whole of the um, uh, South Cam catchment area. There is an Essex one which stops at the border and a Cambridgeshire one which stops at the border. But, uh, uh, but uh, uh, clearly, uh, because of these sort of quite unusual drainage properties this site with a boulder clay on the higher levels and uh, um, being impermeable and, and just sort of draining down through the built areas. We're very concerned, that, uh, particularly in view of the fact that um, climate change is likely to result in, 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 in more frequent severe weather events, that uh, any sub systems could be, over, could, could, could be overwhelmed in such an event and pass on down to, down to Sawston. Uh, as you uh, the issue, the main issue, I think, is although there is flooding in parts of Sawston, is at the junction of the two branch, two two main tributaries of the Cam, which is just um, uh, just uh, on the Sawston Stableford border, and uh, uh, flooding there is is not infrequent. There've been about there've been about three or four instances in the last uh, in the last ten years, and uh, when that happens, and the road the um, and the road is blocked. Uh, the, the, that, that basically blocks one of the main accesses, both from Source and also villages to the south towards Cambridge. And uh, uh, the only diversion is via the 1307, which is quite extensive. And since, uh, since um, uh, the Shelfords and Stapleford fall within the Source and Village College area, that is a major issue for pupils trying to get to Source and Village College. Uh, so I. Uh, uh, I think what we would have liked to have seen as part of the supporting evidence, consideration of, um, uh, of developments on, on both of those arms of the CAM. And uh, uh, again, this, this, this interacts with the welcome issue because well, the um, welcome site would also drain into that and also the, um, also the Agritech site if that, uh, if that appeal is allowed. Thank you. As far as I'm aware, there is a... Madam, Sorry. the speaker has been reminded to put the microphone. Well, I, I okay, he did, have his mic, he did have his microphone yeah, on. So, well, it, yeah, is it, uh, the lights are on the front. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Oh, right, well, the point he was making was about flood risk uh, on the site at North Huddlesford and, and, and existing flood um, problems in the area. So I asked the council to address it um, in terms of the evidence that they've, they've pre prepared in relation to flooding, which I know they have some. Madam, you're right. There is a flood risk assessment, which is uh, 700.1. Uh, there is also the water cycle study, which I'm told also considered uh, flooding matters. And there was engagement with the Environment Agency, which is obviously responsible uh, for uh, flood risk matters and isn't uh, constrained to consider only uh, local authority boundaries but will take into account catchment areas of relevant watercourses and uh, no concerns were being expressed by the Environment Agency in relation to uh, the uh, uh, flood risk implications of the development proposed in the plan. Thank you. And those matters will need further consideration at the DPD stage and the planning application stage, yes. Uh, and, and to assist with... Um you're finding the, the appropriate page, unpaginated page, apologies, uh, in the strategic flood risk assessment. If you turn to Appendix B, area of search number one, that considers the M11 junction north, the east of M11 junction 9A, which is the appropriate area of search. 
uh, area of search number one. Have you seen that document, Mr. Uh, Councillor Bard? Yes, I, 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 I'm not quite sure what the relevance of the M M11 junction is. The one I was referring to was the um, uh, was, 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 was the A1301 north of Sauce. North of Sauce. Uh, so that that was just a reference to the area of search that that was um, being considered in in that document. It might be helpful if outside of this arena, maybe the council can direct you to the correct areas of... Uh, that might be helpful. Okay, thank you. And did you want to... Sorry, it's just, just briefly on the Welcome Genome Campus point. Um, you, you remember, Mr. Pepford, in the first week making the point that the SEA requirement continues throughout the plan-making <coughs> process. It doesn't stop now. So that's a very real issue for the Welcome Genome Campus. In terms of what other uh, neighbouring authorities have said, we just simply refer you to the um, response of South Cambridgeshire District Council and its Rule 19 response, raising the issue of the Welcome Genome uh, Campus um, and, and its impacts in relation to its interaction with North Uttlesford. Um, whatever the Highways Authority the fact they haven't demanded the work be done is immaterial because they are not the ones um, required to apply the tests, the SEA t um, legal tests and also the soundness tests. That's your, your job and at the moment there's simply no evidence. Uh, and so we would say that in circumstances where it's granted, um, you do not have the evidence before you uh, to find that the SA is legally compliant um, or indeed that the tests of soundness have been met simply for want of that evidence. Do you want to come back on that, Mr. Bedford? I'm happy for you to... I, 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 I certainly, we wouldn't disagree that so far as the directive is concerned, uh, it is applicable to uh, processes up to the adoption of the plan. Uh, and so, at least in principle, uh, if there is something which is relevant before you get to the point of adoption, there's a question as to, to what extent and how you should take it into account. That said, I don't think at the moment we would share, uh, as it were, the potentially apocalyptic view about having to suspend examination and so on. I think we would simply say, well, as matters stand, there is still an undetermined planning application. If that changes, we will reflect then on whether there is anything that needs to be done, and if so, to bring it to your attention. Thank you. Did you want to say something else? All right. Okay. <laughs> um, we've probably dealt with flood risk. The final point was to have any impacts from flight paths to and from Stansted Airport on the North, North Uttlesford proposed garden community being considered. Um, I've read um, statements on, on this from various parties. Um, I've not got any other questions unless I think it's probably more relevant to some of the uh, sites in the southern part of the district it probably more discussion in relation to that isn't it? okay are there any other points that anybody feels like we've not covered that you wanted to say no okay that's good so it's 20 past uh, sorry half past two so if we just have a break until 20 to three just to allow everybody to um, shift seats so, um, and Louise will put tickets out. Is, she, is Louise there? No. No. Oh. 
Um, so, yeah, we'll have to wait till everybody's seated. I think Louise has just gone on a break, so we'll need um, everybody's nameplates moving about and things if you're not on this session. Yeah, so west of Braintree. Okay, if people can take the seats or if you're not stopping for this session, if you can leave so we can carry on, please. Okay, so we'll now move on to west of Braintree um, and obviously move through the agenda items. It may be like has happened with the previous one that you know there is some overlapping, which is um, which is absolutely fine. Can I just check? I meant to check after lunchtime whether the council had got a revised trajectory printed yet with the updated numbers. No. Yes. Right. Okay. So it might be good if. Do you have copies for people to have? Yeah, I mean, just if people want to refer to it this afternoon, it's more helpful if, the, if it's all kind of in the correct lines, isn't it? So if I leave that with you, just to... Yeah. Okay, so it's the same point, really, as um, this morning. What evidence is there to demonstrate that the proposed West of Braintree Garden community is capable of delivering 10,500 to 13,500 homes um, overall? And the, the, here it says an up to 3,500 in Uttlesford, 970 in the plan period. And I think that, that number has actually changed, hasn't it, to 640. That's, yeah. So it would be 640 in the plan period, but the same number overall to the end of whenever. <laughs> um, Mr. Bennett, do you want? Did, sorry, do the council want to say anything in opening? Or, Madam, I think probably all we would say is obviously you've seen our um, uh, matter eight statement, and uh, clearly that deals with the overall position. You would have also picked up uh, that there is a statement of common ground agreed with the North Essex Garden Communities um, Limited, which is the um, body uh, which is taking forward uh, the Brain Tree. Uh, elements of uh, the uh, garden community and that um, just as it were for convenience sets out at section 7 uh, the delivery um, that has been agreed uh, uh, in relation to the two parts of the garden community the part that's in Uttlesford and the part that's in Braintree and that mirrors the figures that we've been talking about and will be in the uh, version of the trajectory that uh, Mr. Miles is in the process of copying. Yes. Uh, you're also aware, obviously, uh, that there is a, uh, a matter statement from Braintree District Council, and effectively on th this issue uh, we are uh, on um, uh, common ground, and although there isn't, I think, at the moment yet a statement of common ground agreed in final form with Braintree District Council, it's certainly well advanced. I think it's just logistical matters as to why there isn't a signed one at the moment. And if I could just make it clear that uh, Ms Gooding from Braintree Council is here speaking today on behalf of the District Council's team. Excellent. Thank you. It is, yes. Um, Councillor Andy Bennett from Felster Parish. Um, thank you. Um, I'd like to start by really raising the question as to whether Wester Braintree will ever actually deliver a single house. 
I was at the NEGC Inspectors Review in June 2018 for the NEGC proposals for three new towns, including Wester Braintree. The inspector's report said it will be evident from the foregoing discussion that I, can, that I consider that the garden community proposals contained in the plan are not adequately justified and have not been shown to have a reasonable prospect of being viably developed. As submitted, they are therefore unsound. He went on, on the basis of the evidence I have considered so far, I would advise that, that simultaneously bringing forward three GCs on the, say, on the scale proposed in the submitted plan is likely to be difficult to justify. Option one would be for the NEAs to agree to remove the GC proposals from the Section 1 plan at this stage and commit to submitting a partial revision of Section 1 for examination by a defined time, for example, within two or three years. Now, meanwhile, Braintree District Council ploughed on, and in, a few weeks after that, in July 18, they released a statement that said the inspector proposes a pause in the examination whilst new evidence is provided on the areas which he has considered further work is needed. We consider that this work can be undertaken in around three months, at which time it will be considered by members. Now, that would have been October last year. Um, but their three-month timescale has become a year just to take the options back to the council for review, which will be happening, I understand, next week, and for which I, I also read this morning that there, that there is a motion to abandon the garden communities at that meeting. With UDC passing responsibility for gaining approval for Wester Braintree to the NEGC consortium, of which it's not a member, UDC has no control over Wester Braintree, and so its inclusion in the UDC plan is without any UDC control or any UDC self-determination. In my opinion, it's therefore impossible for UDC to state with any certainty the timescale, size or growth rates for Wester Braintree, or even if it's going to happen, until the inspector for NEGC has reviewed the plans in perhaps a year or so. The arguments then presented that to remove Wester Braintree will leave Uttlesford open to speculative developers. But I counter that pursuing Wester Braintree is doing exactly that. Its inclusion has already delayed the Braintree plan by at least a year so far, and it will be far safer to the integrity and speed of the plan to remove the Wester Braintree from it, as was recommended by the inspector, Mr Clues, in his recommendation for option one. And the reality of this is borne out in, place in, in villages like Felstead, where we're under attack from developers ex exploiting the lack of a five-year supply. We're, we're one of over 100 villages classed as Type A, but already Felstead will have allocations for most of the total 15-year Type A housing numbers, all by itself and within the last couple of months. So I urge you now to, uh, to, to consider that Wester Braintree isn't viable Uttlesford are subservient to NEGC. They've already said that they won't go forward with Wester Braintree without NEGC going forward with it. So it's, it's a nonsense part of the Uttlesford plan. At this point, for Ms Goodins, I was waiting to see whether any, whether any of this kind of uh, arose, but it might be useful if you don't mind just updating us on, on where things are up to. You're probably in the best position to do that. Yes, thank you. Good afternoon, inspectors. Very happy to do so. 
Um, so just to clarify um, the uh, stage that the North Essex Authority's local plan is at, uh, we submitted our local plan in October 2017, uh, and that local plan um, included a joint section one with Colchester and Tendering. Together, the three authorities are known as the North Essex Authorities, so, so Braintree and North Essex is sort of used interchangeably. That plan was subject to examination, the oral examination sessions in January and May 2018. And then I think as referenced and in the evidence base, um, we had three letters from our planning inspector in June, July and August uh, 2018, setting out their findings, uh, his findings on the plan and making suggestions for a number of ways forward. The three local authorities uh, took option two of the inspector's um, letter, which was to uh, essentially pause the examination while further evidence was gathered. And that pause was officially enacted by the inspector in December 2018. So uh, the authorities have been acting on the inspector's advice and preparing um, additional evidence base. Um, it, just to clarify a point that was made yesterday, all the evidence base, all the additional evidence that the North Essex authorities are producing is now in the public domain. It is, uh, there's no further evidence to come out. That evidence is, is there and in place now. And the three authorities are considering that evidence and considering um, the consultation on that evidence and then submission back to the, <clears throat> back to the planning inspector um, at committee meetings in July and early August with a view to consultation on that, if approved, taking place for six weeks up till the 30th of September and then hopefully the examination uh, sessions scheduled thereafter. Uh, Colchester um, meeting is on the 22nd of July. Braintree, um, we have been to local plan subcommittee once. We go again tomorrow. That includes an officer recommendation to continue with the strategy as set out in the existing local plan with, with some proposed um, changes. Tendering have already had that approved at their local plan subcommittee and then take it to full council on the 6th of August. So hopefully that gives you an overview of, of where we are. Yes, that's... Uh... That's very helpful. The, the evidence that's been produced in response to Mr. Clue's letter to um, provide further justification and support for the plan, the bit that um, deals with west of Braintree, has that covered the whole of the allocation, including Uttlesford allocation, or is it just evidence for the, for the part of the allocation in Braintree? Does that make sense? Yes, it's a um, slight mixture. Um, some of it can be applicable to the uh, all garden communities. So, for example, there's a paper on delivery rates and there's another paper on delivery mechanisms, which equally would apply to all the, all the garden communities. Um, then within each of the papers, there are specific areas uh, related to each of the three garden communities which are planned um, across North Essex. Um, for example, if you look at the um, infrastructure phasing and delivery document and the GLEADS cost document, as well as the viability assessment, all those three documents take into account a garden community of around 12,500 houses. So that's both sides of the boundary. Thank you. Do you want to add anything, Mr. Bedford, before uh, I don't think... I think Miss Goodins is probably in a good position to... Certainly, I don't want to say anything further in relation to the, um, the, the progress that's been made uh, by uh, Braintree. But the, I suppose the important point is that, yes, uh, in June 2018, the North Eastern 
Essex inspector, uh, sorry, the North Essex inspector reported in the way that he did, but that was an interim finding. Matters have moved on, uh, and clearly that inspector is continuing with that examination. Uh, the, uh, the wider issue that was raised by Councillor Bennett uh, about uh, Uttlesford shouldn't be relying on what happens to um, um, uh, the Braintree part of West of Braintree, well, that, that, that issue is already captured in the Addendum of Focus Changes. We have set out uh, a, a proactive way of dealing with uncertainty. Yes, there is an uncertainty there, and clearly... Uh, that is recognised but the plan I say contemplates that and then puts forward a contingency mechanism for dealing with that that is a normal way of dealing with that type of issue so we, we don't see a problem uh, as obviously some others do yes and the, and the reliance on housing delivery from that site is further ahead isn't it than the other two um, garden community sites which is, takes account Sorry, further forward. So, the, so the back, yes, back. <laughs> In the future. In the future. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, my name is Mike Frost. I'm a, just an NHS consultant, and I got involved with the representation in relation to Andrewsfield. But I just wanted to ask Emma just a quick point on the uh, garden cities. I followed right from the, the origin of the original funding through the government's DCLG, Garden Towns and Village Programme, back in 2014. I, I obtained all of the um, funding applications through Freedom of Information, which confirmed essentially that they had made an early decision to go through the garden communities route with the decisions being made in about 2015 prior to release to the public. But one thing has come across from this, um, it, it, following this process is understanding that the DCLG essentially provided incentive funding for garden cities and garden communities for programs of 10,000 homes. But they say, state quite clearly you must find a mechanism for providing the infrastructure funding. In the um, Essex County Council presentation, as promoted by the um, um, Braintree District Council, they typically quote five to six hundred million pounds to, to essentially get the garden cities off the ground. And the question really for Emma is that have we now got that funding from the government, five or six hundred million pounds to get this sorted? Because it's clearly promoted that there will be significant upfront com um, funding. And in fact, um, uh, Councillor Butland made it very clear to me that the, the, the whole project was not viable unless they had that funding from the government. So that's the, really the news I wanted to hear. Are you able to answer that at this point? Um, so what I can suggest is that um, um, both your uh, attention and, and um, Dr Frost's attention is drawn to uh, document ED47. A, which is the North Essex Local Plan Viability Assessment Update. Um, within that Viability Assessment Update, West of Braintree is viable in all scenarios. Uh, 
Thank you. And the evidence we've heard from developers is that, uh, and promoters of the site is that these sites are viable. Um, have you seen that document? I think it's one of the fairly recent documents, I suspect, that's been yeah. released, hasn't it? It's, uh... no, I haven't seen, no, I haven't seen that document at the moment, but I just want to be explicitly clear on this, that um, essentially the, um, the developers, the, there is, is not, the, the money raised through um, the developing the site will not be sufficient to pay for the infrastructure, and that's been clearly identified in terms of the mass transit system and all the other necessary ancillary infrastructure on, on, in the area. Um, we were clearly promised one of the main things with the, uh, I've got it in front of me here as, as I just slide that we, there would be significant, significant upfront funding um, and essentially in the, in the, in the program of app applying for the um, funding from the DCLG to encourage the, the garden communities the DCLG asked the councils um, how they proposed to provide the capital. Um, so essentially they were, you know, they weren't, and I think the, the councils were expecting by going down this program that they, uh, the government would provide that start-up capital. And I think that's where the confusion has, start, has come from. And I just want to be absolutely clear, if the money isn't there, it, the, the thing isn't, isn't going to be viable. The developers aren't going to pay for the capital. There is some money being given to, uh, released to authorities, hasn't there, from the government for, for certain ones of these? Uh, yeah, so there's, there's both a mixture of sort of capacity funding at the moment for um, local authorities, including the North Essex authorities, to, to further uh, their plans for garden communities, albeit um, not prejudicing the planning process, as was highlighted earlier. Um, and there obviously are various pots of, of government infrastructure funding that um, the local authorities and, and others are taking advantage of. So, for example, across the whole North Essex area, uh, we currently have two housing infrastructure bids in which would support particularly the other two garden communities within um, within North Essex, essentially because the west of Braintree uh, garden community is the most viable, is viable and the most viable, and also doesn't have those major pieces of infrastructure, um, and I mean major, major pieces of infrastructure compared to some of those other garden communities um, in North Essex. Um, so, I so say, there's lots of detail set out, including the costs of land and land financing, which was an issue that the inspector picked up uh, within our examination and that is dealt with within the new viability um, report. So, we are very content that the uh, garden community at Western Braintree is viable with providing the infrastructure up front. One of the other documents that we've also um, just released is an infrastructure phasing plan. Um, and that document, um, Infrastructure Planning, Phasing and Delivery, it's called, um, that document, which is produced by ACOM, looks at each phase of the garden community and assesses what infrastructure is required for each phase. So you can plot through fairly easily in the tables within that document for West of Braintree when the primary schools will be delivered, when the rapid transit will be delivered, and when the other social and community facilities will be delivered on that garden community. Thank you. Does that cover this the part in Uttlesford or just the part in Braintree, do you know? Bear with me one sec while I find the relevant page in terms of West of Braintree. It does, no, I don't need to find the page, it does include the full fuzzy line boundary um, across Braintree and Uttlesford.
as um, Ms Gooding's able to provide at the moment. Yeah, it was a little bit unfortunate. Obviously, we've just got this information, and we're sitting here in, in, in the inspection here. We've not had a chance to even look at it. Um, so, but um, it, one of the things I would say about when you the, the delivery phase, I attended the land use consulting, um, basically uh, an engagement exercise, and they pointed out that this the funding for the for the schools and so on was developed on Section 106 agreements. Now, I'm not a planner, but um, one of the problems I could perceive straight away was that essentially if the houses aren't built because there's a downturn in the economy, you don't get the money from the Section 106. So it's, the, the delivery of the schools is entirely dependent on the rate of building, which is you know, not guaranteed. An alternative would be to, imp to raise the money through a community infrastructure levy, which hasn't been used by the Ulster District Council or Braintree District Council. <coughs> Thank you. Uh, Mr. Cronk. Thank you. Um, Stephen Parish Council would echo many of the points made by my colleague from Fausted Parish Council. Um, we commented on the over-reliance on delivery of the new garden communities um, and the associated infrastructure costs. We think depend dependence on free new settlements poses significant risks, particularly given that Eastern Park and West of Braintree are located only six kilometres apart. So, consequently, there's a significant danger that delivery rates will not be achieved. Obviously, the, the gun communities will co be competing for buyers, particularly given their proximity. Therefore, we agree with points made by Gladman concerning the housing trajectory and that the risks are dangerous, uh, the risks and dangers. The council faces uh, if it cannot de demonstrate a five-year land supply. We, we refer to the fact that the plan only, only ever envisaged nine, 970 dwellings being delivered within the plan period. Since the start of the, uh, these hearing sessions, we now know that figure has fallen to 640 dwellings over the plan period and we have doubts regarding the, the, their deliverability particularly given the overall status of West of Braintree has yet to be determined by the North Essex Examination Inspector. We know the Attlesford element of the West of Braintree garden community is entirely dependent upon that um, being, being sanctioned and authorised. We also know that the Braintree element of West of Braintree is capable of going forward on its own without the Uttlesford element. Consequently, we'd urge you, Madam, uh, Madam Inspectors, to look very carefully at the evidence regarding deliverability, particularly in the context of the, 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 of the West of Braintree um, scheme. We've raised concerns regarding sort of transport and the A120, um, yesterday, we went through the infrastructure delivery plan and a couple of the items you referred to were the Damo East Junction of the B1256 for f costing $3 million and improvements to the B1256A120 Damo Hobbings Junction that was 2 to $10 million. Um, both are identified as being critical, but both are only being delivered by the end of the plan period. 
in terms of the bus, the rapid um, transit system, we're, we're concerned that it will, will not do as it is um, supposed to. It will not deliver a rapid transit system. We noted that in terms of the bus rapid transit for Attlesford, reference is made um, on, in Table 220 to the, the uh, loop of the garden community on a de dedicated segregated route. It's um, mentioned that the use of a loop in this manner is not ideal from a public transport planning perspective as it represents a, di a diversion which will add to journey time re relative to a straighter route alignment. Um, we're also concerned that there will be shared provision um, and reliance on existing infrastructure, which is road infrastructure that is already um, highly constrained. In terms of um, the mode share strategies for North Essex gun communities, we see even by 2033, um, looking at 75% of um, trips being uh, motorised or car use, and even going right forward to 2078, that, that figure only goes down to 67%. We note that there's reference um, to Braintree's two railway stations. I think it's important to note that neither of them are mainline stations. Um, and it, there's reference in practice to the, the fact that the majority of trips will continue to be by car at the early stage of the Garn community's genesis. We heard yesterday the dangers of that, that if there isn't the infrastructure in there, then people just won't get used to using it, and um, you will just end up with an estate in the countryside, and that is obviously uh, our main concern in relation to the Atlesford element of the west of um, Braintree. Um, we also made reference to the fact that the, in relation to the, uh, the Braintree element of Western Braintree, there is a planning application for prior mineral extraction at rain, which would take 15 years for 3.66 million tonnes of sand and gravel extraction. Um, the planning Permission may be issued later this year for Section 106 agreement is agreed, but that could in itself cause delays in terms of the deliverability of Western Braintree. We've raised concerns about the fact that the local plan um, relies upon a, a future local plan of review if delivery does not occur to the rates envisaged. We think that there's a lack of detail um, regarding how that review would be triggered. Um, and we believe that there is the danger that by the time it is, um, it will be very late to take corrective action. We believe uh, that you, you need to have the evidence now to, to demonstrate that the actual assessment element of Western Braintree will be deliverable within the plan period. Thank you. Thank you. Do the council want to address any of those points in particular? I think most of it's covered in statements, including about the mineral extraction. I think we've got information on that. 
sorry. Through the IDP yesterday, that's and we right, had a full yes. sort of session on that, and so we'll probably be going over old ground. Yeah, that's fine. Updated trajectory, so we'll just quickly hand it round yeah. because I think it might be useful for the discussion. Um, it's easier to see than. Uh, Sorry, if I may, just, just while that's being handed around, just to clarify in terms of the bus rapid transit um, recent study that's been published uh, for Braintree, just to clarify that the phasing of that starts in 2024 to 2028, that's between the west of Braintree Garden community and Braintree Town itself, including the railway station at Braintree Town. Um, so just to clarify that that is, is phased in and accounted within the viability from the, from the first days of occupation. Mr. Maxwell, are you happy to start while we just um, hand in those papers? Thank you, Madam. Uh, David, David Maxwell from GL Hearn, representing Andrewsfield New Settlement Consortium. Um, just in, in response to question one, uh, what evidence is there uh, to, to support delivery of 10,500 to 13,500 homes? Um, we, we submit that there is a, a very strong and wide raft of evidence. Um, most recently, through the uh, NEA um, evidence document 47K, um, which Emma Goodings just referred to, which we've had a chance to review, um, and we certainly uh, agree with, with the findings of that document in terms of the scale of development that could come forward. Um, particularly in, in Braintree, we, we, we certainly recognise up, up to around about 10,000 homes can be supported within, within, the, um, within the, 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 the fuzzy boundary. Um, and uh, the remaining uh, three and a half within the Uttlesford area. And that's been supported very much through our own very detailed submissions, uh, going all the way back to the call for site submissions in 2015, which um, was requesting information concerning uh, potential garden communities. And that included viability evidence, master planning, uh, transport and landscape and heritage assessment work. Um, so we do, we do support this new evidence base. Um, it's backed up by our own previous submissions, as well as submissions that Galliard Homes have made. Um, and just finally, we, we do submit that the, uh, the figure of 970 homes within the plan period is, is reasonable. We don't see any reason for reduction in that number. Thank you. So that's 970 across the two plan areas? Uh, well, it's, no, it's not, currently 970 ah, yes, in, sorry, in, in Uttlesford, yes. Mr Herbert. Just the points I made this morning about really the idea of the examination is for the council to, to defend the plan and others to seek changes. So um, if there's useful points that people think they can make in terms of you know, for the examination, that's fine, but it's, it's not an opportunity to spend a lot of time um, supporting schemes. No, I, I really just wanted to support what had been said by um, Mr Maxwell and, and really to confirm that uh, we have been working together cooperatively and, and between us, our, our respective clients control the, the vast majority of the, of the land that's been uh, allocated for West of Braintree. 
Um, we, we have submitted um, detailed uh, viability evidence to, de to demonstrate that we believe the, 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 that the entire community of 10,000 homes roughly can be viably developed and we, we followed that up yesterday at the sessions with, uh, with, some, some, verbal, with some comments. Uh, we've, we've taken the view that uh, certainly the 970 in Uttlesford can be delivered in the, the plan period, although we have made submissions that possibly um, Galliard can achieve more. Galliard controls the, the front of the site with uh, direct access onto the uh, B1256. We have made comments that uh, we don't understand why the figure of 970 has been reduced to 640. That came very late in the day after all the plan process um, had been followed with the figure of 970 and then suddenly um, at the 11th hour it became 640 and it did seem to us to be just a bit of a, a mathematical convenience rather than have any practical value and um, we, we certainly don't support that low figure uh, and in fact we have said that um, we believe delivery can be brought forward maybe slightly um, in comparison with the council's uh, trajectory. And I think at the beginning of this session there was a reference made to the statement of common ground that there had been signed or proposed between um, NEGC and the, uh, the local authorities. And while we may have some comments on the way that might operate uh, a little bit later in, in this session, I think it's, uh, it must be very reassuring at this stage when um, it's the allocation and the soundness of it that's being considered that you have two entirely separate parties, both uh, feeling strongly that uh, the development that's proposed is viable and can be delivered. Thank you. Thank you. Just check with the council. Presumably it's the case that if, if development at west of Braintree could come forward quicker than is in trajectory and deliver houses faster than in the trajectory. The council aren't going to sort of put the brakes on it in any way through planning applications or whatever it was. No, ma Madam, you're right. Um, probably if I did just two things. First of all, uh, in terms of just explaining the change, you will appreciate that obviously um, there is uh, um, a need to consider uh, the Uttlesford part of west of Braintree in terms of delivery hand-in-hand hand with the larger garden community uh, to which it is associated in Braintree. At an earlier stage, uh, when looking at that, as it were, total picture, uh, a view had been uh, formed that it, it may be possible to achieve overall completions of some 400 dwellings per annum between the two uh, sites, and then that was prorated. Uh, between uh, the uh, the two and it was the result of that exercise which produced the figure of 970 within the Uttlesford part of uh, the garden community. Then in the light of um, some of the um, evidence coming forward, some of the views from the North Essex inspectors, some of the views from experience elsewhere in terms of overall delivery rates, the view was formed that one ought to be perhaps more conservative in uh, the delivery uh, that could be achieved across the board and so the discussion between the relevant authorities including uh, North, East, uh, sorry, North Essex Garden Community Limited uh, as well as Braintree District Council had produced the conclusion that 300 was a more robust 
figure to assume across the board. It's not to say that 400 is, as it were, out of the question. It's just that 300 is thought to be more robust. And then pro-ratering it on the same basis as before is what produces the 640. But, and, and I think this is then the second point, uh, uh, probably it's a glitch in the way that we've drafted the relevant parts of the plan. But if you look at, for this purpose, what we say in relation to Eastern Park by uh, cross-reference, so if you look at the position for SP6, uh, under the heading land uses, the phraseology is to refer to the total uh, for the garden community, and then it uses the phrase of which a minimum of, and then there's a particular figure. I know that figure itself is, is, is then adjusted, but leave that aside. But that approach, uh, for reasons which are more to do with drafting uh, rather than uh, to do with... Um, any uh, substance of, of, of difference of treatment wasn't carried through uh, in relation to either North Uttlesford uh, or West of Braintree, but there's no logical reason why it shouldn't be. And so essentially our position is there is no reason why the 640 figure shouldn't be preceded by the words a minimum of. In other words, it's not intended as a cap it's just intended to do two things. One, to provide some indication uh, that the overall um, objectively assessed need figure of 14,000 can be achieved within the plan period by a, a number of component parts. And secondly, to inform the housing trajectory, which is also an expectation of the MPPF that whether in the plan or, or in another document, there should be a trajectory which indicates delivery. So it, that's an expectation but in a sense, if it can be uh, more than achieved, there's not going to be any complaints from the local planning authority. Thank you. That's what I'd expected. But, uh, so we maybe need to look at that as a main modification to the other two as a line. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Um, a lot of my points uh, have already been made by Councillor Bennett, and I, I won't repeat those, but I just wanted to sort of set out our views, because this is part of the trajectory that probably concerns us most. And your question is, what evidence is there that West of Braintree can deliver 640 dwellings within this plan period? And I think the answer to that is quite simple. The evidence is that Uttlesford is dependent on growth in Braintree. Um, Braintree has... Um, gone partly through its examination and the inspector's and interim findings are very clear. He concludes that on the basis of the information that was submitted to him, the strategy of the garden communities is unsound. Now, Mr Bedford said that things have moved on since then. I think by that he meant that the council has prepared the additional evidence that the inspectors requested. Now, my understanding of what I've heard is that the next step is for the councils to agree that that is to be formally submitted to the inspector then, of course, it has to be examined by the inspector. And I can't see how you could find this plan sound until you have confidence that part A of the garden community, i.e. that in Braintree, can be delivered. 
because of course it would be a nonsense if this plan was found sound and within a matter of weeks or months later the final findings of the North Essex inspector landed to confirm that west of Braintree was not sound on the other side of the boundary. We would then be straight into the scenario of a focused review of the local plan. Uh, I don't agree with Mr Bedford that focus change number two is an entirely normal approach, i.e. triggering a focus change. We're in a very unique scenario here whereby we're reliant on a other authority and significant concerns have been raised about the soundness of development in that authority area. It's not that that hasn't been taken to an examination yet. Uh, it's that it has and has been found to be unsound in the interim findings. So I, I can't think of a more difficult place for you to be in other than for us to be sat here with the final findings of the inspector having been issued. Um, but it's, I've never sort of in, in my own mind at one of these examinations had a sort of a clearer point where I think the test of deliverability just has to be failed. Um, so I think you need to look very carefully at um, whether indeed you can in endorse um, part of this allocation uh, when uh, there's so much uncertainty floating about the, uh, the, the remaining elements. Shrimplin. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, just a, um, a general point which has um, come up uh, listening to uh, the promoter of the site, but may affect the other authorities, um, other garden communities as well, which is that there's lots of, sort of discussion that, um, uh, uh, to the promoters owning most of the land, but not but there's no, I haven't heard people necessarily say they own all of the land, but all of the land, I mean all of the uh, land, including that which is needed for highways works as well. So I think you need absolute certainty that the land that is needed is within their control. Absolute certainty. I don't think that's a kind of prerequisite for soundness in terms of a local plan. Well, it, but in terms of deliverability, we're talking about deliverability over a prolonged period of time. And so if there are parts of that land which aren't owned, they don't control, may not come forward, um, that, I mean, that, that goes to the heart of whether they are deliverable, but also the timescales of their deliverability as well. If there are, because there is reference in promoters' uh, documents and in the local plan to potentially need for CPO, and that, again, affects timescales, which is uh, obviously, as you know, a key concern of ours. Um, and the associated point with that is that landowners must not simply just be working together, because of course they have, I'm sure they are working together, but they need to have formal equalisation agreements in place as to who's going to deliver what bit of infrastructure, how much is going to be paid for, because that again, uh, I'm sure that can happen upon um, uh, confirmation of, a, of an allocation, but that all takes time and all adds to the uncertainty. And so, again, that needs to be factored into timescales for getting on site. To comment on any of that, Mr. Well, Manu, I'd echo your um, uh, scepticism that absolute certainty is required at the local plan stage. Clearly, the test in uh, paragraph 182 of the um, MPPF is that the plan should be deliverable over its period. Deliverable doesn't necessarily require certainty of delivery. It requires you to take a realistic view whether the plan is deliverable. There are inevitably, with any uh, plan which will cover a minimum of 15 to 20 years, depending on which version of the MPPF you're in, going to be uncertainties about some elements or other. Mr. Bailey. 
Thank you. Um, so uh, I re represent, I'm the Managing Director of North Essex Garland Communities Limited, which uh, is a company formed back in January 2017 for the delivery of three garden communities in North Essex, including West of Braintree. I think you've already heard that the plan is to deliver the whole of West of Braintree, um, i.e. both sides, Ottlesford and Braintree. A um, couple of points really just in terms of the conversation um, that uh, I thought would be helpful. Uh, first of all, in relation to the government funding point from Dr. Frost, um, we have been working uh, diligently over the last year with uh, MHCLG, with Treasury and with Homes England on an infrastructure fund that will be public-private because we've also undertaken some soft market testing as part of that work with pension funds. Uh, that infrastructure fund uh, would be designed to do exactly as Dr. Frost was, uh, was asking in terms of providing the funding to ensure that infrastructure goes in uh, alongside, if not ahead, of the program. That work also included and has um, progressed delivery models, including the potential of a locally-led development corporation, the first of its kind in this country, and the government and its agencies are working with us um, so that we could be the uh, potential pilot of a local development corporation. Um, that in, uh, the essence of that is to make sure that there is a listic development uh, on both sides of the boundary, to make sure that, that it's developed in line with garden community principles, to make sure that infrastructure is there alongside, if not up front, and, uh, and to ensure that um, the uh, potential for landowners and um, developers to work in partnership with the local development corporation is possible as well and we've had conversations with landowners and developers on the site over the last year to that effect. Um, out of that piece of work two things have become clearer to us um, and they've both been mentioned today uh, namely delivery rates we are clear that we can achieve more than 300 per annum under a uh, a publicly-led vehicle, locally-led development corporation is a good example of that. Uh, and also that, as you've heard already uh, this afternoon, that Western Braintree is viable. And we can confirm that as well from our perspective in terms of a public-private delivery vehicle across the whole of Western Braintree. Uh, two additional points I just wanted to draw to your attention. Um, the... You'll know, and uh, it was referenced by Mr. Bedford, that we have a statement of common ground with Uttlesford. Um, and in that statement of common ground, um, the issue to do with how quickly DPDs can be progressed is a point I wanted to, to draw your attention to. Um, what is a matter of public record for NEGC is that um, once the statutory consultation on the North Essex evidence, North Essex authorities' evidence is complete, which, as Ms. Gooding said, is due hopefully at the end of September. Then NEGC will begin a three-sequence public engagement program. Uh, already has already begun some of that a, a year or so ago around DPDs. Will be begin a three-sequence public engagement program over an 18-month period, leading to a preferred option layout option for DPD. If you follow that through in relation to a potential local development order uh, consistent with a uh, publicly-led vehicle, that may or may not be a local-led development corporation, it doesn't have to be, then the trajectories that we're working to are pretty much the same as trajectories that are in Ottlesford's um, DPD program, and therefore we'd be looking to get on site 
later in 2022. So um, I think it's important that you know that this will be a whole site public engagement program led by NEGC leading to a DPD process of a similar sort and similar timescale that others have set out in their records. And then the final point I wanted to make is um, uh, there was mention earlier about mineral extraction on the site. It's in the southeast part of the site. Uh, it's tarmac. And I think you just need to draw to your attention that talking to the landowners of that site who aren't actually present today, but um, uh, or the specific landowners are not present today, but we've had conversations with them and they've had conversations with tarmac about how the sequencing of that mineral extraction can happen to be... Uh, able and correspond to the phasing program that's been set out in the ACOM document that Ms. Goodings referred to earlier that's been published as part of the North Essex Authority's evidence. Therefore, I'm explaining to you that the mineral extraction is capable of being uh, extracted or dealt with alongside the phasing of the overall development that's been set out in that NEA evidence just recently. Thank you. That's helpful. Mr. Martin. Thank you, ma'am. Um, well, first of all, I note that from uh, Ms. Gooding said that the, um, the, the latest like, viability study, um, which covers, um, uh, is, it said it's viable in all scenarios. So as a consequence, clearly, um, you don't need the Uttlesford element of that to make the rest of the west of Braintree and the bulk of it in Braintree viable. So that's, that's an interesting uh, point. Clearly, we haven't had an opportunity to look at those documents yet because they've only just been put in the public domain. But um, my main point is um, really about the capacity, the actual physical capacity of the area within Uttlesford. Um, in my original uh, representations, the Reg 19 representations, I questioned this, and I did actually submit a plan. I've got some spare copies today, which show the um, areas um, in Braintree and in Uttlesford. And um, they, on, on top of that, they are on those on top of those areas. I've, I've put the layers of um, boxwood wood, the um, ancient woodland, the um, historic environment record sites, and so on. And um, in my estim estimation, the actual capacity of that area is somewhere around about 1,500 homes. It's got to be borne in mind that the areas we discussed yesterday, the area is a fuzzy line because it's basically a broad area of search in both, both districts. So therefore, detailed boundaries have yet to be determined um, and all the various constraints that you would need to do in a master planning exercise would need to be, need to be undertaken. Bearing in mind also, we're planning a garden community here um, the whole principle of garden community is that it has uh, a greater proportion of green infrastructure than uh, normal, for want of a better word, uh, other types of development. So I think that's, that's a, a key point. Um, I would also dispute the, um, the, the capacity figures um, that have been um, put forward by the Andrewsfield Consortium and also Galliard Homes, because clearly, if, if you take the overall areas, then you can clearly fit the number of units that they say, 10,000 to 13,500, within the absolute total areas that, that's shown in the areas of search. But that's not necessarily good planning. I mean, it's a bit like the Tesco, original Tesco model of 
you know, stack them high and, and, and deep um, because you're just cramming things in there. And if you, do, if I'd refer you to, particularly to the, it's an ecom uh, drawing, but it's the Galliard land use um, proposed land use plan, and it just shows development right up to um, Stebbing Green. Um, it's this, it's this plan here, which is attached to their statement. It's, it's within there, yes. Um, and it shows development very close to the existing, um, uh, the existing road. I, I think it's, it's figure two in that document. Is it not the same document? Is this I've got figure? I've, no, I, 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 I printed that page, I think, from that document. So perhaps um, Mr. Herbert could um, perhaps give an example of where the source of this document is. Just hold it up planet. again so that I can see it. Just hold your phone up again. <coughs> yeah, it's a different... Um, I think it was appended to one of their statements. Yes, yeah, I think this is maybe, maybe something different. That's the one I've... Well, it must be a for on this statement that I rang, I rang off this, uh, yesterday. But I've, I'm quite happy to hand it to you. Um, Thank you. But you'll see the, the extent of development is really the point I'm making and how close it comes to the existing physical features of the site. There's no very little buffer planting and so on and so forth. It shows, it shows a, a secondary school next to Boxted Wood, which is that really the centre of the community, and so on and so forth. So I would say there are a number of flaws in, in the capacity exercises that both Andrews Field and Galliard Homes have undertaken because they don't take into account all the proper constraints, and I think they um, have got a very optimistic view of, of capacity, and particularly in the, in the Uttlesford um, element of the plan. And I got, I've got copies of these, which I'm quite happy to to hand to the programme officer, but they were appended to my original statements, which... Um, yeah, I mean, as long as they've been submitted already they submitted and they're originally. not new documents, then yeah. that's... So I think um, that, that's a key question, I think, that needs to be... Um, the, I, I would ask you to look into. Um, it's also quite odd, really, the shape of the um, extensions into Uttlesford, because they're basically through areas, because clearly the land in the, in the middle is not under their control. And does it actually make logical sense to do that? Um, I, I would also refer you to the um, document that um, is also in the evidence, which was prepared by ECOM in May 2017. It's, it's one of the documents referred to in the council statement. And that explored three different scenarios of growth, um, admittedly entirely within the Braintree district. And um, they carried out a number of public consultation exercises and they, they showed their preferred option, having taken into account all those considerations, which I think showed a capacity of about 9,300, um, which was a gross density of 15 dwellings per hectare, which is more the sort of density you'd expect in a garden community. So that demonstrated that there was, there was really no need to provide a self-contained settlement of, of the scale that's been required within um, to... to rely upon land upon Uttlesford. So that's, that's really my point on the capacity of the site. In terms of delivery, the actual ability to, to deliver, um, I made my point yesterday about how can this plan be found sound, or certainly this element of the plan be found sound, without the knowledge, indeed, as, as Mr Belton said this afternoon, um, without knowing the outcome of the um, North Essex examination.
Mr Frost. Thank you. Um, my concern just relates to uh, question two in terms of arrangements for joint working together. My understanding is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that basically uh, the, the Braintree side is, is uh, built on a plan of a land delivery vehicle and uh, the Uttersford side is basically developer-led, so two different modalities of, of delivery. My concern relates to, on one, we're being told as a garden community we're going to have strong public engagement. Well, so far from what we've seen so far the last few years, I can tell you that representation after representation after representation has gone in and it's very, very difficult to get any changes. The plan was made heavily in 2014-15 early on. The sites were chosen and basically everything's modelled on from there. That, that seems to be the, what has happened. The key thing for me is that if you're dealing with a garden community where you can liaise and have a say in how the, uh, the, the, the land delivery vehicle takes shape, then you effectively have some say in potentially in the process. But with a developer-led, once the, the authority to go ahead and build is there, do you have the same, do you have the same control? We've been consistently made promises about upfront infrastructure, um, facilities, etc., which will be there, transport systems, um, funding, everything will be there. And as time goes on, we're seeing these promises being sort of watered down. And my big concern, which I'll come on to when we get to Andrew's field, is that the, the lack of enabling the public to engage and actually the local community to have a say when they've got to be um, accept 10,000 homes built in an area which is the lowest employment density in Essex, um, just from the point of view of meeting you know, council housing targets. And, and necessarily not remembering the fact that 70% of these houses will be aspirational executive homes. They won't be homes provided in the target audience that we need in terms of the affordability side. Thank you. In terms of Uttlesford, it's 40% affordable housing is the requirement through the plan, isn't it? So I think it's 30 in Braintree, is it? It's a minimum of 30%, yeah. Right, so it's dependent on viability assessments and things. Okay. Yes, it's an interesting point. I work in a hospital, uh, Broomfield Hospital. We're about 300 nurses short. A nurse's salary is about 25,000, okay? Um, we have difficulty recruiting nurses from the area. Um, the minimum salary you've really got to buy a house in us is probably going to be about 50,000, so you need two of you to buy a house. We're focusing on basically, we can't run the hospital because we haven't got the nursing staff. So, you know, the, the plan that we're developing, say 11 miles north of there, mainly executive homes at high cost, doesn't really sit in with the demographics of what's needed in, generally in the local area. It achieves the figures, it just ticks the boxes for the numbers, but from a social demographic assessment, it doesn't really help us. Thank you. Uh, did you want to speak again, Mr. Belt? I wasn't sure whether you'd just left you. No, no, I, just, I, I meant to ask um, a question last time I spoke and I, I duly forgot. Um, in, in our hearing statements, we had um, just raised the question about where um, Braintree had got to in respect of 
funding for the A120 duelling back to Colchester, which is one of the principal issues that was raised in the inspector's interim letter. Um, I thought one Miss uh, Goodings here, she might be able to update us. My understanding, and I might be out of date because I haven't been through all of the evidence that was issued at the start of the week, was that um, funding for that was um, included in the RISC-2 programme and the outcomes of that was due later this year. But I, I was just wondering whether there was any updates because that seemed to be quite a, a key point of concern for the um, North Essex inspector. Yes, I assume there's nothing on that yet, but is that, is that correct? So, yeah, it's fair to say the, the full um, new duelling of the A120 between Braintree and Marks Tay is subject to any RIS2 announcements later on in this year. But as was referred to um, yesterday, I believe, there are fully funded improvements currently in planning to the um, Galleys Corner roundabout, which is the particular congestion hotspot which is closest to west of Braintree. Those are currently in planning with Essex County Council and fully funded and involve um, Millennium Slip Road, so slip roads into Braintree so you don't have to go around the roundabout. Um, I think it's also important to note that there are a number of desire lines from the west of Braintree Garden community. West is one of the least desire lines. Um, we expect significant numbers of people, if they are travelling outside of the development, would be looking to Chelmsford to the south, Stansted, Dunmo, and the M11 corridor to the west, and also potentially um, up um, north as well. Uh, so that isn't the only direction that we expect people to go to, but there are funding short-term measures in place to relieve the particular point of congestion. Does that answer your question? I think it, well, it, it's, it's it, it does. I mean, I think it kind of was, was the answer I was expecting. It just reiterates the point I made earlier, really, that, that that was a specific point that the inspector raised. And he made the point that, you know, while there might be interim measures that can deliver some capacity in the early phases, he, he wants to know that the entirety of the garden community can be delivered before he endorses that as a, as a sound approach. Now, I think our point in our hearing statement is that if, you know, we sit here today, we're still reliant on hopefully a positive outcome from risk two it's just more uncertainty for you um, about deliverability of this site if, if risk two doesn't give us the answer we want then you know what happens then um, so it's, it's just more gray areas in concern really well i was wanting to talk on two if I, may. I wasn't quite sure i know it's all kind of <laughs> Two just now, so I just two is what I need to speak on at some stage, and then three later. But so it's the work joint work in R three, the heritage the joint work. Right, so you can, we can deal with those points together. Which point are you wanting to address? Mine was just a very quick comment, just a, just a comment on the the point just made that uh, that one of the prime routes for for travel out of uh, West of Rangeley will be into Chelmsford. That will be down the A131, which, according to the Chelmsford plan, is currently at about 130% of capacity. So you can't go down that way. Ms. Mack, do you want to... So you're addressing uh, question two and three. If you want to deal with it all together, that's fine. Thank you very much. Debbie Mack, Historic England. So first of all, question two. That's this whole issue about joint working between Braintree and Uttlesford. Um, and I think what we wanted to make clear is that on a number of occasions, we've raised concerns about the degree of collaborative approach um, to the historic environment between the two councils. The site obviously straddles the border, and to that end, joint working is imperative. Um, the MPPF paragraphs 178 and 181 make that um, absolutely clear. Um, and in our view, there's a lack of evidence that that's happened. Um, to give you 
um, a couple of examples. Um, as we were working on the um, Donald Insull uh, Heritage Impact Assessment for Uttlesford, in, in collaboration with Uttlesford, um, we asked them had they shared this information with Braintree District and were surprised to learn that they hadn't as that report was being uh, developed. Um, similarly, it's surprising to us that the policy wording has not been developed in collaboration with Braintree District to ensure a strategic and joined-up approach to policy development for that strategic allocation. Um, similar uh, scenario, I take, take you back to an example that I used yesterday where um, well in Hatfield and East Hearts had a cross-boundary strategic site. Uh, the two authorities prepared a joint um, heritage impact assessment. They prepared the policy wording together and indeed went as far as to have a joint hearing session for their local plan to cover that strategic site with inspectors from both um, separate uh, uh, EIPs sitting for a particular session on that site. So we are concerned at the lack of apparent joint working. Um, and then, of course, there's a fundamental ongoing uncertainty regarding the North Essex examination that we've already spoken about a lot this afternoon, so I won't go into that any further. So that's our concerns in relation to question two. Uh, moving on to think about uh, question three, um, just to make clear that in comparison to this morning where we have an in-principle objection to the site, that is not the case uh, west of Braintree. We do think that there is capacity for some development, uh, but the area is located in an area of uh, moderate to high sensitivity in terms of the historic environment. And whilst the um, land within Uttlesford District doesn't contain any designated heritage assets within the actual uh, fuzzy boundary, if you like, um, that is not the case on the other side of the border um, within Braintree District. And indeed, the land in Uttlesford, um, there are a number of designated heritage assets just immediately outside of the boundary, um, which needs careful consideration. And indeed, um, as I've said a number of times, we've been really encouraged to see the production of the HIA um, that gives consideration to these assets, and in particular to the production of um, the development concept uh, maps and so on that are in this report. Um, the, the area that we're particularly disappointed in is the lack of translation of... Um, the recommendations of that report into policy and in particular into some sort of diagram within the plan, a concept diagram as I spoke about yesterday that can graphically illustrate the key principles that we're seeking uh, for not just heritage but other areas of use. I think that would be a really helpful way of demonstrating which proportion of the site approximately is developable and how mitigation and protection can be um, incorporated uh, in any proposals. Thank you. I'll come to you now. Do you want to come back on that? Ms. Tideman? Karen Tideman, Donald Insel Architects. Um, yes, I just wanted to make a point in response to Ms. Mack's um, comments about the sensitivity of the, of the site. Ha our um, heritage impact assessment um, 
covered both Uttlesford District Council and Braintree District Council um, areas and we do acknowledge that, that in the Uttlesford area there are historic assets off the site. However, we have, carrying out our assessment, we mapped a series of sensitivity um, plans and identified key areas of high sensitivity and these are predominantly to the north and to the east of the site within the Braintree area, around the area of the registered park and garden, but also to the south, which straddles both, count, uh, both councils um, due to potential archaeology um, on the site of the, along Stain Street and on the uh, Roman Villa site. Thank you. Thank you. And that's those maps in the back there, isn't it, for anybody that's... Um... Uh, Madam, I was just, just yeah, going to sorry. comment on um, in terms of the, the joint working matter. Well, in a sense, it speaks for itself in terms of the outputs, and obviously we've got Miss Goodings here, and I hope uh, between Miss Goodings and Mr Miles, uh, Mr Gillam, and the rest of the team that you uh, would be prepared to accept that there is good dialogue and collaborative working. No doubt we can always improve, and I'm sure that uh, uh, including uh, Historic England in the dialogue uh, can lead to... Um, improvements. Um, but on, on the, perhaps the more substantive issue about concept diagrams, and uh, we did have some of this debate uh, earlier, um, but the, um, I mean, the key issue is that heritage is undoubtedly an important uh, topic and environmental constraint, but it's not the only factor that needs to be considered in planning large new-scale development. Um, and uh, what one would need in order to inform a concept diagram that actually meant what it said was an adequate evidence base so that it was uh, clearly justified if it was to indicate that there were areas which were appropriate for development and areas that were inappropriate for development that that, had been, that judgment had been properly informed by knitting together all the different issues that need to be done at a more detailed stage. So that, for example, uh, the um, active travel um, uh, corridors and routes that you would need to have within a development to ensure that it worked as a sustainable and, so far as you can, self-contained community have got to be located so that they work, you've got to take into account the heritage constraints, you've got to take into account any ecological constraints, you've obviously got natural topography, you've got drainage. So you've got all of those things, a bit like a jigsaw. I, mean, I think there is a kind of like an old story uh, about what happens if you were trying to build a house uh, and uh, you allowed, as it were, the electricians in before the plumbers or whoever it is. Whichever discipline you take will do their bit to suit themselves first and everybody else has to work around it. But that's not good planning either for a house or for a new community. What we're saying is that we don't have a sufficient evidence base at this stage that would allow you to provide that level of detail of the concept plan that would actually fit all those different disciplines together. And there isn't a problem with that at this stage because you can still settle the principle and obviously the, the DPD route, which we are very much uh, promoting, will be the exercise which will enable that further level of detail to come forward and be properly planned. Thank you. Mr Ratcliffe. 
Thank you, Caroline Reckless, Sailing Grove. Um, you're very right. I mean, we all need a concept um, plan to guide us rather than having fuzzy maps. But one of the principles right at the beginning is to work out what you should put in and what you, you should take out. And I would actually say you take out registered, protected registered park and garden. So this is where we are at the beginning. Take out the registered park and garden. You can see from the master plan um, provided by uh, Andrews Field Development and also included in the um, Donald Insult HIA, the registered park and garden is included. So, first instance, take it out. And if we follow what was happening with, with the inspectioner with Braintree, Inspector Clues said he's quite clearly in a layman's term saying, go back to the drawing board, get better evidence, assess alternatives with equal thoroughness and present again. That doesn't actually mean that we get the same plans, the same, um, the same master plans in front of us without taking out those principal things like uh, principal constraints such as uh, heritage, um, park and garden. We've had three heritage assessments on, on this particular site. We've had the developer's own one, a baseline heritage appeal, um, appraisal rather, which that figure 1.1 in their document, which they um, submitted to you, has a completely different red boundary from what their master plan is. BDC have their own um, uh, um, uh, assessment by Place Services, which named it red as in like high alert, red rather than amber or uh, green. And then the UDC have created their own one, and on which we, we see that it's from moderate to high sensitivity. And we do actually question, looking at their map at the back and the whole swathe of pink, that they still manage to classify as pink and moderate to high. So we think that the um, uh, HIA for... Article Distant Council has a narrow interpretation, has a different interpretation from the BDC one. Um, and we would argue that really you need to look back at the, uh, the statutory consultee, the H, the Historic England's own guidance, which is a setting of heritage assets. Page 5, heading design settings, which this Repton landscape is. Page 6, heading of views and setting. Page 7, which at point 13 says, important design views to, from, and within the historic park and gardens, and as well as their four-step test, um, which ultimately step four is consider alternative proposals. And we're really grateful out of everybody who came to assess, only one person did, and that was Historic England. They're the only person who came to see the southern view from Sailing Grove and also to see the second bridge to Park and Garden at Great Sailing, that was Sailing Hall. So uniquely Great Sailing has two bridge to Park and Gardens as well as the additional heritage assets um, that are further detailed. So we're quite unique in that way. Um, and the frustration of not actually seeing these individual heritage assets seen as an interlinking in the landscape and then assessing the harm and how to avoid that harm and what you can do to, to protect, conserve, not screening off, because the whole point of these Georgian landscapes is that they are the vistas. And to that extent, and I have submitted uh, in our pack, we are commissioning a more fully robust 
um, a report which goes into what the historic England will require, which is cultural, landscape, um, a visual, you know, the whole shebang. And we need a more thorough look at it. And actually, instead of going to that expense and that time, is to take out the registered parking garden in the first place. Um, or adapt the maps to reflect that. And maps haven't been chosen, whilst the plans haven't been chosen. Um, that's it for the moment. Thank you. Do you want to come back on any of that, Mr. Tideman or, or Ms. Goodens? Can I just come back very briefly first, just to confirm to you that Great Sailing Grove and Great Sailing Hall um, Register Park and Garden are both within Braintree District and therefore whether they are in or out of the area of search is a matter for the North Essex Inspector, um, albeit uh, to note that within the ACOM assessments, concept assessment options that we have done, all three have excluded the land um, for the Register Park and Garden, obviously, um, and are through the master planning, we'd, we would like to explore and use the vistas um, as spoken about as part of the landscape master planning for the garden community. Thank you. Did you want to come back on yeah, very briefly, I know this is a BDC matter rather than a UDC. Um, it's classified as informal open spaces. So obviously we'll be challenging what that on earth means and how long that is maintained. Um, and But it does require that thorough protection rather beyond the, the actual registration, you know, look at that vista. So this is not a, probably a matter for you, but I think we will be challenging that on the BDC side. Thank you. I just want to say briefly um, that uh, in the assessment of the um, registered park and garden that our, as I outlined earlier, our assessment was based on desk-based research and site visits and um, according to Historic England guidance on setting of uh, heritage assets. But of course this is a, um, this is a, a concept uh, map of sensitivity which is intended to inform um, should there be potential development of the site. Did you want to say something else, Mr. Mr. Martin? It's, it's really in, in the context of the um, Donald Insel um, heritage assessment. Um, you, the drawings at the back which refer to west of Braintree, which are, I think you flicked them up a moment ago in your copy, so that's in this the, under the Andrews this one, field. sorry. Yes, that's it. you've got the page open there. Yeah. If you go to the, um, the drawing that's um, entitled Site Sensitivity, Built Heritage and Archaeology, which I think is the last one before you get to the schedules, which shows the um, yeah. it shows the sensitivity uh, analysis. I'll just point out there's a there's a drafting error on that because the area has shrunk compared with the boundaries shown on the earlier drawings. It's the same shape, but um, uh, applied to the, the base in a different it's manner. It's moved as well. Yeah, and it's moved. So basically what's shown on the key is ancient woodland, i.e. box of wood. It's not box of wood at all. It's an area to the north. So you're saying this, 
this plan doesn't tally with early ones in no, the same it, document? It, it or? doesn't. So it, it, it's, it's probably a drafting error, but it is misleading. And um, you know, what, what the consequences of that mistake have been, we, don't, we just don't know. Okay. Obviously, the council have heard that, and um, we need to have a look at that. I don't think we need any comment. It's... Thank you. Mr. Cronk, are you talking about heritage now? Or... Yeah, okay. Just so I know where we're up to. <laughs> it was really just to emphasise the fact that the draft heritage impact assessment identified a number of key uh, heritage assets within two kilometres of the west of Braintree, including one scheduled... Can you just speak up a little bit? I think it's Sorry, the microphone my microphone's picking up very well. <laughs> Sorry, um, it was the fact that the draft heritage impact assessment identified a number of very important heritage assets with, located within two kilometres of the west of Braintree, including one scheduled monument, two registered park and gardens, one non-registered locally important park and garden, six grade one listed buildings, nine grade two star listed buildings, and 288 grade two listed buildings, as well as three conservation areas, Stebbing and Great Sailing being two of them. So that sort of demonstrates the, the rich heritage of the, 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 the locality um, we fully accept that in terms of heritage, the council has to balance these against other, other aspects of the plan. But we just feel that it, there's been a failure to give adequate weight to the heritage impacts. And the, the rich cultural and historical heritage of, 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 of the, the local area... Um, we'd also refer you to a recent Section 78 decision in June 2019, which was relates to um, a called-in um, appeal um, for a, a, the erection of 1,500 dwellings on land at north and south of Flitchway, Pods, Brook Road, Braintree, sort of rain. So it's very close. And... This particular decision was commented upon in the national press um, because the, the Secretary of State referred to the fact that he concluded that the setting of a list building, Nailinghurst, would be moderately adversely affected. And as a consequence, um, having regard to paragraph 196 of the framework, the Secretary of State agreed with the inspector that this would represent less than substantial harm to its significance. However, the Secretary of State considers that the harm to the significance of Nailinghurst carries great weight as the ability to appreciate the listed building in its agricultural tent context would be diminished. We feel that there hasn't been adequate weight to, to consider the wider aspects of uh, the heritage and landscape of the locality and the impacts. And we believe this decision demonstrates the importance of the MPPF and the Secretary of State um, in relation to the protection of important heritage assets. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, David Maxwell, representing Andrewsfield New Settlement Consortium. There have been a few points raised um, relating to heritage 
um, which I suggest uh, primarily relate to the Braintree land rather than the Uttlesford land. Um, but I would just like to draw your attention to the very detailed uh, heritage appraisal that we did submit um, to Uttlesford and Braintree prepared by Montague Evans and that recognises the need for appropriate measures for the protection of the heritage assets and they do set out a number of detailed points there including um, the recognition of the need to uh, withdraw from the southern boundary of Sailing Grove um, to, to retain views to the Church of St James and Sailing Hall and to reinstate the Repton Historic Parkland uh, and those uh, recommendations have been taken into account through the master plan that we have submitted. Um, also, in terms of the, the master plan and densities that we've looked at are much closer to 40 dwellings per hectare rather than 50 dwellings per hectare. I just remind you that uh, really it's about seeking changes rather than just covering okay. the, the councillor here to cover points like that. Right. Well, I just wanted to, 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 to respond on those concerns that have, have been raised. And, and perhaps just the final point is that the landscape buffering that is proposed um, to, to, to the uh, developments. Thank you. Are there any other points on heritage anybody wants to raise? No? Okay. Um, so that was question three. We've covered joint working. I think we've dealt with that. Um, the next point is about employment use. As we said this morning or this afternoon, whenever it was we got to that point on the previous item, um, there are figures now provided by the council. Um, I don't know anybody particularly wants to say any more than... That? No? Okay. And again, the sports strategy, there is a, a very up-to-date one that's been um, released since I actually wrote these questions, and that's been on the website a few weeks, I think, hasn't it? So hopefully most people have had a chance to see that. Um, question six is, um, will this development result in the loss of a pilot training school, and if so, will a replacement site need to be found in order for this part of the site to be developed um, from what I've read is that yes it will be lost and I, I don't think there's any intention at the moment for that to be replaced um, I don't know if anybody wants to particularly speak on that matter Mr Frost thank you ma'am um, yes I came specifically to the representation really today to speak exactly on this so if you just give me just a five ten minutes just to listen um, I I'm, my background, essentially, I'm an NHS consultant. I've been in, a member of the St. Andrew's Field Flying Club um, for a matter of several years now and, uh, and recognise its familiarity in terms of, you know, of what, it's, what it's achieved. Um, it's basically, um, the, the background is that the, the Flying Club came into existence as a result of um, an American, um, it was the first bomber base built in the, in the UK in about 19, in 1943, 44, and um, and from the, from its wartime origins, it was then opened as a it became a civilian flying club in about 1973, and so the, my big concern, uh, having been an established airfield for many many years, having Uttersford. Uh, planning permission, being registered with the CAA as a licensed training field, um, I would have thought that that would have impacted on the planning process in terms of taking that, that factor into account. But despite numerous representations, there's quite a mixed message being um, promulgated from the different, uh, different departments. As the 
Inspector, you just quite rightly said, you would assume that it's just going to disappear. We've asked that question many, many times from the various representations, and we're getting conflicting answers. Um, I spoke to Richard Bailey earlier on from NEGC, and they've, as a, a land development company, they're keen to rent, potentially retain the airfield. From a developer point of view, the developer does not want the airfield there at all because, you know, but detract from basically, they assume that the, the, it, will, it will detract from making a profit on housing. Um, the, you know, the, the, the situation is from a, I understand from a more of a legalistic point of view, and again, I'm not a planner, but I am in touch with ministers like Grant Shapps and the All-Parliamentary Group for Aviation, which is the biggest All-Parliamentary Group, it's 150 members, and, and they do recognise that um, uh, essentially the UK was made on its history of aviation, and we need to protect and um, uh, smaller airfields one of the reasons is that essentially only 10% of airfields actually contribute to pilot training and revalidation of pilots, a big study by a chap called Loper. Most of the airfields we have in the UK are big commercial airfields and they're too big to undertake training. And so to maintain a, a, a network within the general aviation community is absolutely vital. We've inherited a, a, um, a, 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 largely our airfields as a result of the Second World War but we are rapidly depleting them in, uh, by building on them as a result of government policies, essentially on things like the, exactly what I'm here for today, the Garden Communities Project, which is essentially an incentive, um, government incentive, to build on isolated remote sites, chiefly airfields. And therefore, we've seen the loss of many airfields in, in, in the country and a lot are under threat. Um, General aviation per se contributes to about 3.8 billion um, of gross value added in terms of business, about 38,000 jobs in the UK, and the, the, the wider aviation sector is about 28 um, billion. I know there will be people sitting in the room thinking, well, we don't want aircraft um, simply because of um, emissions, um, CO2. Put it in perspective, the GA contribution to CO2 is about 1%, um, from cars is about 40%, and from commercial aviation is about 28%. Um, the fact remains we're going to, there's an unmet need for pilots at the moment. We've got to, just, to, just to service the uh, demand for the European routes alone is estimating about over 100,000 pilots. Um, we're currently booked the capacity in terms of our commercial training at uh, Andrews Field. And we have just revalidated, um, you know, the top people in the RAF, Air, Air Vice, Air Marshal. So we have a, a huge um, reputation. And given that the site of the airfield has tremendous historical significance as well, um, it was the first American base to be you know, built in the in our time of need during the during the war. Participated in the D-Day landings. Um, one of the most famous aircraft at that time is now in the Smithsonian Museum. It actually flew from Andrewsfield and is being, is, is being repaired. And we get a lot of visitors from the historical aspect, uh, typically in relation to the Imperial War Museum at Duxford, which last weekend had about 20,000 visitors. So it does have huge implications for pilot training, recreation. Um, it's... Uh, the, we've managed to get the clubhouse uh, uh, recognised as an asset of community value. 
Um, but Uttersford uh, Council did not recognize the airf uh, airfield per se as a whole in its entirety, um, primarily because they, they assumed that the runway would not be used by the members of the public, which is nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, it's used as an open airfield for all members of uh, the public and from pleasure flying to, to serious training. Um, so my big concern is that essentially the airfield came into, in, into existence as regards the Second World War. The landowners have obviously uh, seek to capitalize on that being um, redevelopment uh, site and uh, now with the demand of housing and it fitting in with the government um, uh, applications. If the councils are basically um, in the position of um, deciding where they're going to um, put housing, one of the things I'd really like to sort of stress is you can put housing in, in, in many different locations, but it's very, very difficult to relocate an airfield. So in terms of relocation of an airfield, is, is, it was almost impossible in the, current, in the current times. And obviously we can't move the history associated with that airfield um, for which people come to visit. Um, what I would like to see, I suppose, is, is essentially... Given that the, the airfield lies on the northernmost um, uh, boundary that, uh, and it lies in effectively a buffer zone that some protection could be given towards safeguarding that airfield for the future users at an early, st early stage so that we don't have the problem of worrying about whether the airfield will be there um, for later on. Um, at the moment, as I said, we've got mixed messages because... There has been no survey at all from Uttersford in relation to the economic contribution to the airfield in terms of uh, jobs and its wider aspects. And, the, and the, the, I think there's a lack of recognition that you, you can't... Just closing an airfield isn't just like closing one particular thing. It's an intrinsic link of the infrastructure in the whole of the uh, GA network. And looking to the future, um, there's an, an enormous explosion of technology at the moment just around the corner in relation to um, hybrid electric-powered um, aircraft, much quieter aircraft. We now have two-seat training aircraft, which are basically will fly um, replacement batteries, and they're being used at the moment at places like Damansfield Farm. These aircraft are silent. They don't, you know, don't pollute. And... Um, these are all things which are there on the horizon, and that industry involves people from uh, engineering backgrounds. We have a, 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 an aviation college now at Stansted. We have a, um, an avionics base over at uh, North Weald. We need to preserve, we have an engineering base at Andrewsfield, and obviously the engineering base is based on, on aircraft coming in to have aircraft service, so we lose the runway, for example, you know, it's, it's null and void. There is a complete lack of understanding in terms of the initials of the impact of the what, uh, how the airfield operates. And I've, I feel that there should be, as per the, uh, pal uh, the uh, planning policy um, guidance, uh, planning policy should recognize the importance of maintaining a national network of general aviation airfields and their need to adapt and change over time, taking into account their economic value in serving business, leisure, training, and emergency service needs and the gov government's general aviation strategy. None of that has been achieved at the moment. Um, 
So from, from, the aviation, from the aviation point of view, speaking on really behalf of uh, the general aviation side and um, all parliamentary, what I would like to see is, is some recognition of uh, you know, protection and safeguarding for the plan of future. Interestingly, in the, there is a government document which refers to other civil air, uh, it's a document about safeguarding aerodromes which is required for major airports. And it says, in relation to operators of civil aerodromes, yeah, sorry, yeah. Operators of uh, licensed aerodromes which are not officially safeguarded and operators of unlicensed aerodromes and sites for which other air aviation activities take place should take steps to protect their locations from the effect of possible adverse development by agreeing an agreed consultation procedure. Given that this is um, supposed to be a garden city where we're engaging with the users and the community and the public and from that point of view, uh, that really needs to take place and be um, and represented up, up, up front. Um, I feel that there's, there's no, no consideration at all at the moment for the, for the users and the background on the, on the aviation side. And that's not to say that the Andrewsfield uh, the club is just used, it's used by cyclists, a huge range of the community, um, and it would be a huge catastrophe if that was lost in the future. Thank you. That's helpful. Mr. Cronk, did you want to speak about the airfield as well? Right, okay, and then I'll ask the council to come back. Yes. Um, you would have seen from our representations that Stephen Park Stephen Parish Council is also very supportive of Andrewsfield Airfield and welcomed the fact that there had been a successful nomination as an asset of community value. Can you just keep your voice up a little? Or oh, is it mine? <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, welcome the fact that um, Andrewsfield Airfield had a been a successfully nominated as an, asset, as an asset of community value regarding parts of the site. The point I was going to make was really in relation to um, our comment uh, regarding the existence of a, a no-fly zone for flights leaving and arriving at Stansford Airport, which operates over the airfield site and covers a two nautical mile radius of the centre of uh, runway 09-27 up to a height of 2,000 feet. Um, we pointed out that should Andrewsford Airfield cease to be operational, uh, this would obviously be likely to be removed, in which case the operators of Stansted Airport would be free to utilise the airspace, potentially to the de detriment of residents of both the existing and new garden communities. Thank you. Does the council want to address that? I see you've wheeled somebody else in, so is Mr Pine the expert on uh, uh, No, me, me to deal with this. Oh, right, Mr okay. Pine will be um, assisting with the next question. Um, so taking those points uh, in no particular order, um, actually start, starting with the last one, the no-fly zone above the um, Andrewsfield airfield, by the time planes uh, leaving from Stansted get to that point, they are generally above uh, above that height anyway, so in terms of removing that resulting in, in uh, I think um, Ms. Conk was suggesting that it might result in, in greater noise impact from, from lower flying planes, I, I don't think that's the case um, You see in the 
in our the council's matter statement we address the the points coming out of the aviation strategy 2050 uh, and the reference to the NPPF 2018 which requires uh, us to recognize the importance of maintaining a national network of general aviation fields etc et um, that that requirement does not sit within the NPPF 2012 and we are being examined under the uh, NPPF 2012 um, it's also worth noting, I think, that um, the, the ACOM concept uh, framework diagram, which looked at um, potential, uh, potential ways of delivering site in Braintree, on the Braintree side of the border, apologies, um, the, the preferred option there, while, while that is the preferred option of ACOM, and, and I, I don't think it's the preferred option necessarily of, of Braintree District Council, uh, that uh, limited development on the northern part of the site such that the, the part of the site in, in Braintree District bordering the airfield or actually part of the airfield uh, did not have development on. Were that end to end up being the preferred strategy for development for west of Braintree then it, well, if you're not building on the other side of the border you're not going to be building on the other side of the border either. Um, but there's no decision being taken on that um, that was one preferred option of, of the consultants, not of, of not of the either of the councils, um, and the work on the issues and options development plan document, which was published winter of last year for West of Braintree, um, but has, has, similarly did not make a decision to set out the issues and, and the options for dealing with that kind of thing. Um, so no no decision has been made on that, but I thought it was worth drawing that to your attention. Um, on the, the government incentives to uh, build on airfields, on isolated rural airfields, I, I assume that's a reference to previously developed land. Um, I'm not, not sure I've got a comment to that. Um, I think those are the points I wanted to make. Just a, uh, an observation or a point that um, there have been plans, um, you've probably seen, where some of the MPPF 2018 has kind of been taken into account in terms of future proofing plans, even though they've been examined under a transitional arrangement. So I suppose it's open to the council if they wanted to adopt that kind <coughs> of line of either way and even without the MPPF 2018 I suppose the councillor is free to take that view in terms of safeguarding that airfield I suppose it's a decision for the council ultimately and, and, and developers but I'd also note that I mean that that was in reference to uh, yes you're right it's, it's a decision up to the council um, this is in reference to maintaining a national network of general aviation airfields. Um, from what I understand, that that network has not yet been defined. Um, so, yes, it's not been defined. So it's it's a little premature to say which ones are the are the important ones or not.
Madam, Madam, I think it follows from the way that you put that question to Mr. Miles about it being a matter for the council, uh, and that would be fair because clearly we're concerned in this examination with the soundness of the plan and clearly something which is, in a sense, optional if you chose to take into account the 2018 uh, MPPF wouldn't be a matter of soundness for this plan judged against Para 182 of the 2012 version. Um, take account of and, and other, um, yes, it's not a soundness issue because we might have wanted to include them in any event anyway, isn't it? So. Being concerned to, to avoid, in a sense, a criticism coming to us that we're cherry-picking, as it were, bits of the 2018 or 19 MPPF that suit us and ignoring other bits that might not. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think, having heard Mr Frost, there's probably some need for further thought, discussion, discussion with um, various parties to see, to see what, uh, what can be done in that regard. Um, have you, have you been party to meetings with the council and various bodies in terms of this? No, unfortunately, I would have um, welcomed actually some um, a link up, really, essentially, with um, the, you know an early early stage with you know visiting the club and having a meeting with the members and explaining exactly you know the public and what you know what the plans what the plans are. Um, I find the, this idea that, you know, we can just stick to the policy of, you know, to the, the nitty gritty of the, the small print, you know, to get around these issues. We are actually planning a garden city, a community or a community which involves supposedly big community involvement. And here we have a, a position where uh, a small area of the site occupying 800 metres by 300 metres which has a huge contribution to the community in multiple different ways, is just written out and ignored without any consideration at all. Um, and, you know, for the council to turn around and say, look, it doesn't matter for us, we're not interested, is, I think, a little bit, as a member of the public, a little bit, you know... Um, a little bit upsetting, really, in the end of the day, because the council doesn't just represent the developers' interests; it also represents the interests of the community, and that's hence why we're here. There has significant, you know, heritage interest. Whether you're, whatever your interest in hobbies, whether you like horse riding, whether you're interested in aviation, playing football, etc., you have a vested interest when somebody comes along and just removes those facilities from you. Um, so I think it is important that we do take into account other people's interests and needs, not least of the you know, local community and the much wider community on that basis. Um, the recommendation is that they should take into account the, uh, the wider Im impact. And, and certainly when you t they talk about jobs and providing areas for jobs, there are jobs already there and they're just effectively closing them down. So... Um, I do feel a little bit um, aggrieved, and the council does have a role in balancing the needs for housing and um, other usage, especially since the, the airfield has actually been licensed by the CAA, the planning permission given by UDC, and then in their surveys, completely ignored, and yet they hold all the, the planning controls. All of the procedures and everything should be there, so it should be an easy one to operate and say, we've surveyed that site, and so we recognise the airfields there. We must have a plan for that. And uh, as with many other sites, whether you look around the country at the moment, uh, from Manston to Old Sarum to Leon Solent to Plymouth, the, this impact is widespread. We've lost an airfield up the road, um, uh, Panshanger. Um, 
the big issues. You know, Gamston Airfield is now under threat and so on. So we do need a, you know, sensible, and a lot depends on the attitude of the, uh, the, the council as a, as a broad stake, whether they're going to preserve that as an asset for employment and um, an interest, or whether they're just going to interest in ticking boxes for houses. Thank you. Andrew, did you want to speak on this point or the next point about Stansted Airport? It was just a point of clarification, just okay. for your notes, more than anything else. Um, a point was raised previously about the potential for change to Stansted's flight paths in the event that Andrews Field was lost. Um, that, that wouldn't happen under the current departure procedures. They would remain the same. Um, the current noise preferential routes, um, you know, avoid Andrews Field and they wouldn't be changed if it was lost or not, as the case may be. Okay, thank you. Mr Bailey, did you want to comment? Yeah, um, and just to, to emphasise again, under the Statement of Common Ground, um, we're, and, and obviously our purpose is, is to holistically plan, deliver and engage across the boundaries. And I think your suggestion of picking this up as part of that DPD process and engagement is, is sound. Um, we've had similar conversations uh, with Dr Frost about how we might uh, talk about this more going forward. Um, and, and indeed, our position is set out in our, state, in our, in our uh, representations on this matter. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sure that will be very welcome. I appreciate Richard's comments. Thank you. We've got one item left to deal with, but it might take a little while. I'm just wondering whether just to have a quick five-minute comfort break. I've seen a few people dashing out. Um, so if we just have a, a break, just five minutes really, just as soon as everybody's back, we'll, um, we'll carry on. Okay. Okay, is everybody ready to continue? Do the hammer. Okay, is everybody ready? If you're not, if you're not wanting to stay for this session, if you can just have conversations outside, please. Okay. Right. Obviously, a few people have gone home now. I understand um, we are residents. Mr. Gaddy wanted to say something. Is it? Um, that's about whatever you want to do. We can do it now before that one if you want to. It's just a quick point which um, derives from the numbers. And I don't want to talk about the numbers because obviously you had that in the first week. But the, um, the difference between the, the total supply in the housing trajectory, which is 14,057, as, as just given, and the number of houses actually sorry, identified in the housing requirement of 13,376. The difference is 681. And obviously, uh, West of Braintree delivers 640 houses. So therefore, entirely presupposing where you get to on numbers and the debate on that, West of Braintree is unnecessary for the planned delivery. And I would argue that actually it's unsustainable to deliver it, um, given that Uttleswood is accepting a very high proportionate number of houses to over-deliver 
on the housing supply, I would say, is not only unnecessary, but it's also unsustainable. So that was the point. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the target in the plan is 14,000, isn't it? So it's above, no. the target's above what... Yeah. So, sorry, well, sh sorry, what I should have said is the, the 14,000 is rounded up from 13... You get 13,376. 13, you others have added on 500 communal establishment ones. And as you heard, we believe that's wrong, but obviously that's a point for you, and I'm not going to argue against that. And then rounded up to 14. So if you come back to the 13,376, which is the identified need, obviously there are various ifs in that, but that then means that Wester Braintree is unnecessary. So I'm adding that to the evidence for you to consider rather than making a point on the numbers. Thank you. Move on to the final question, which is um, how many impacts from flight paths to and from Stansted Airport on the west of Braintree proposed garden community being considered? And this must be something that Braintree has considered as well as um, Uttlesford. Do either of you want to say anything before anybody speaks? Or are you? I've obviously read your statement. And, okay. Do you want Mr. Frost to speak on this? I can just say a couple of comments on that, just from my aviation knowledge side. Um, generally speaking, what's happened in the world of commercial aviation is that um, we're doing away with the old um, sort of beacon approach of flying from beacon to beacon, and they're doing what we call RNAV approaches, which are all GPS. The idea is basically that um, you can have a much more direct line of um, trajectory. Generally speaking, there's a requirement uh, under the aviation policy not to put large areas of housing directly underneath the flight paths. Of, um, so they tend to try and route um, commercial aviation away from big conurbations uh, for noise abatement procedures, and et cetera, et cetera, to avoid that. Um, potentially, um, there will be more aircraft coming in the direction of Andrewsfield if, if um, the... Um, airfield did disappear um, effectively we'd lose our ATZ and although the aircraft are not going to be at 2,000 feet there would be an increase in the traffic um, so typically aircraft passing over that sort of height of the airfield are around 3,500, 4,000 feet so you're still getting sort of noise, noise factor um, so it would offer them a potential change in, in route. Ideally, what the um, Stansted will try and plan and do is to avoid the areas of the most the greater conurbations. Um, but um, in, it's generally a principle that we don't put huge amounts of housing directly under the flight paths of, um, yeah, from, from major airports. Thank you. Thank you. A question I did mean to ask the council from the start was about the planning permission that's outstanding. Has anything changed on that since they wrote the statement? So it's going back to planning committee? Uh, yes. Um, at full council on the 28th of June, um, the council resolved to take that uh, permission back to, or that resolution to grant permission back to planning committee. And that's in relation to the Section 106 agreements, or everything is at stake again? Uh, my understanding is that it's in relation to the Section 106 agreement, but um, yes.
Mr Frost, did, is, have you just not put your card down or do you want to say something? Right, okay. Mr Bennett. Thank you. Um, just for an extra clarification, my understanding is that it's going back to the Planning Committee for the 106 agreement and other material considerations. Thank you. I, I, I don't know the detail of it, so if that's, if that's the case, then yes. Could we check that for tomorrow? Because I think that's part of tomorrow's discussion as well, isn't it? The, the yeah. yeah. Madam, we, we, we'll, we will check what the authorised minute refers to, or it, it may still be a draft minute. I don't know whether it's been confirmed as the minute, but we will check what the minute says uh, so that we've got that, and then if that's needed to be provided to the examination, we'll provide it. Yes. I mean, if it's available as a public document, that will be handy to, uh, to have that. Thank you. Sorry, that wasn't my main point. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I'd like to say that CAA guidance on the impact of flights now recognises an unacceptable impact at up to 7,000 feet. Government guidelines CAP 1498, definition of overflight, which was updated in February 2017, section 2.5c, states that in the airspace from 4,000 feet to 7,000 feet, the focus should continue to be on minimising the impact of aviation noise on densely populated areas. It also recognises that people within a downward spread of up to 60 degrees from an aircraft will experience it as being overhead. In addition, CAP 1521, draft policy for airspace guidance, policy 90.94, states... As a consequence, this is likely to mean that one of the key principles involved in airspace design will require avoiding overflight of more densely populated areas below 7,000 feet. Now, the guidance is clear. It's against government policy to establish a new flight path at under 7,000 feet over a densely populated area. However, the area designated for, for west of Braintree is overflown by flights at 4,000 feet and above as they, as from runway four departures as they peel away from the noise preferential route. It's also overflown by arrivals for runway four at typically between four and 6,000 feet as they approach runway four from the east. So what's being proposed is in conflict with government policy. How can it be right to build houses in an area under flight paths when it would not be allowed to direct these same aircraft over the area were the houses to already exist? Would the occupants of the new town not immediately have cause to quote government policy to demand that the flight paths are moved? Furthermore, as, we, as you mentioned, with the expansion of Stansted, uh, the process is underway to move from 28 million to 43 million passengers which will increase flights from the current 198,000 flights a year to 274,000 flights a year. So flight numbers and plane sizes will rise rapidly in coming years over this area, adding to the noise impact on the area where west of Braintree could potentially be built, directly in contravention with all new and emerging government guidelines. Thank you. Thank you. Mr Andrew, you're probably best placed to uh, answer some of these questions. I feared that might be the case. <laughs> um, I think um, it's probably worth starting with the facts. Um, and the facts are that this site is under, uh, or partially under indeed, uh, under the flight path. And that is the departure route from, uh, from what's called 04 Clacton. That is planes taking off in the northeasterly 
direction of the runway and turning east from the airport. Um, it exists, and what I, when I say it, part of the site, the, um, specifically it's the green southern allocation um, on the um, map, inset map provided uh, in the uh, local plan, uh, which is the uh, section just above the A120 and south of the um, south of Andrewsfield. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, page 313 of the Reg 19 plan, if that's of any further use. Yeah, so the southernmost green section in there on that plan is under the noise preferential route. Now, a noise preferential route um, is a swathe of land, not 1.5 kilometres wide from the centre line, that is specifically intended for aircraft to fly within up until the point they reach the end of that preferential route and then they get vectored off into various different directions. Those noise preferential routes for London Airport, Stansted included, are controlled by the government. We have, neither do NATS for that matter, have any jurisdiction to change those. It would have to be a decision from the government. So, as it stands, um, some of the housing is under, under the flight path. Within that... Um, there are Mr. Bennett's comments in particular sort of take you off in a slightly different trajectory into, uh, into airspace change, which I'll, I'll come back to in a minute if I may. As it stands at the moment, the application, um, again, putting aside the 35-plus application for, for the airport, the current planning permission for the airport already allows for 274,000 movements, and that's one of the conditions to that planning permission. It's simply not the case to say that as a consequence of any other planning application there would be any further aircraft um, you know, in addition to that upper limit. So there's always the potential, as it stands right now, as a matter of fact, that there could be 274,000 aircraft flying from Stansted, of which a proportion would use the 04 Clacton route. And so the, um, the likelihood of overflight exists now and will exist in the future, as it, um, as it is. So at that point... It's worth probably then turning to the, to the height of those aircraft. And those aircraft, roughly speaking, tend to be around 4,500 feet by the time they reach that southern green allocation um, on the local plan. Now, the council have been um, very clear in their statement, um, which is the key thing we were pushing for in the response, um, our responses to the local plan. They've been very clear where they stand around um, assessment of noise impacts. On, um, um, on the new communities as will apply tomorrow's conversation in respect of uh, Eastern Park as well and that is they place reliance on the uh, assessment of, um, of noise on the low L so that's in the noise policy statement for England the lowest observed effect of 54 decibels and they then place reliance on our contours both published annually and, and the forecast contours as part of the planning application that clearly define that 54 decibel contour area as being very, very close on an eastern trajectory from the airfield um, and certainly nowhere near the west of Braintree um, allocation. So it can't be then that um, the west of Braintree allocation is going to be subject to, uh, to noise above that low L, uh, lowest observable adverse effect, that is, for uh, the non-noise specialists in the room. Um, it can't be that they'll experience noise at those, um, at that, at above those levels. So taking just the, those, those factual points on to where the airport stands on this is that 
it's quite clear that communities experience noise in a variety of different ways, not just air traffic noise, but, um, but all sorts of noise. And that planes overfly that site, uh, west of Braintree, um, it's a point that was raised um, quite eloquently um, in the government's Aviation 2050 um, green paper recently out, that actually it's information that communities need around where they're buying houses. And so our sort of suggested change to the local plan is that the plan is, no, is, is amended so that it is not silent on overflight. It is at the moment. It doesn't make any mention of it whatsoever. It only crops up in the sustainability appraisal. But actually following the Aviation 2050 um, um, approach from the government, something that we, would, we support, is that there actually is advice to, um, to purchasers of houses that they are going to buy or potentially buy a house in an area that's overflown fairly simple in that respect, um, following some government guidance. I might just pause at that point before we come on to airspace change, because that's a wholly different topic and one of which I could talk quite some length about, which I'm sure you don't want me to. <laughs> the change to the policy, what you suggested that the policy, what requires the developer to tell people that they're in a fly zone? I think, I think it really is just a, a part of the, uh, uh, this explanatory text, and just is, is quite factually... Um, you know, the point is made quite factually that, that these, these settlements will exist under, uh, under existing prescribed uh, preferential noise routes. If I give you the reference, Inspector, to um, the... Um, if I can find it. Um, it's the Aviation um, Policy Framework. So, sorry, Aviation 2050 uh, reference. It's paragraph 3118, 3.118, where the government make the... So, Aviation 2050... Yeah. And it's paragraph 3.118. And it does clearly, the government does clearly make the point that, that communities need information where this is the case. Um, by comparison, when Great Notley was originally built south of Braintree many, many years ago, that caused a huge spike in complaints to the airport that we'd put you know, aircraft over their new community when actually the reverse was entirely true, but more like Mr Bennett's point, that actually a whole new settlement had been built under the existing flight paths and it's managing the complaints and people's expectations of how that can be managed. It's not, I don't know whether how many people who are buying a house read the explanatory text to a local plan. I don't, I don't know. No, <laughs> I, I, can, I can concur entirely on that point, but it has to start somewhere. Yes. It's maybe something more for I don't know, developers to, to incorporate or something for the, through the DPD, some sort of management plan type arrangement. Anybody? So from a superficial point of view, one might thought that if you buy a house in this part of North Essex, you'd probably know that Stansted Airport is sort of in the vicinity uh, and you don't have to be an aviation specialist or indeed a local plan specialist to think, hmm... Yes, if I buy a house there, there might be... Well, I know, but uh, I, I think you know, there is, that one has to um, work on the basis of a certain amount of common sense which uh, people will have in making uh, um, their sort of lifestyle decisions. But uh, perhaps uh, I think on a more technical matters, if we bring in Mr Pine. Thank you, Madam. Yes, Jeremy Pine, Senior Planning Officer, Adelsford District Council. On this point about developing tailored guidance for, for house building, I think this is something that is exercising the minds of the DFT, um, local community groups um, and airports in, in, in a very considered way. And I think almost it, it's coming down to a situation where 
in a situation where there isn't any planning permissions to deal with, you probably need to get together to come up with some kind of easy-to-read, tailored guidance that could be made available on websites, um, to parish councils, town councils, that type of thing, to just explain in simple terms what can be a very, very difficult concept for the public to understand. In my experience as a, as a planning officer, trying to explain a noise contour to a member of the public is extremely difficult because the automatic assumption is if the place I want to buy is outside the contour, I'm not affected by noise. If it's inside, I am affected by noise. Of course, that almost forgets the whole concept that a contour, in a way, is just a, it's a partial representation of, of a graduated thing from, from louder to quieter. And to show something like the track data that is on Manchester Airport's website um, for both 0422, both arrivals and departures, is more in the way of going forward and also using things like the number above contours, where rather than trying to show a contour which is an average of noise in a particular area, which nobody actually ever hears, you always hear peaks and troughs, you can show someone that if you live in this area, then say on, on, on 50 occasions in any one day, you might expect to be affected by noise to the extent that you probably have to stop a conversation or something like that. So what they're trying to do is build up a metric of fairly easy to use and understandable um, concepts to help people in, in, in not just buying houses, but in generally understanding the, the, the environment in which they live, they live, work and, and, and carry out recreation. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a good idea, but I think that's beyond the plan, isn't it? Beyond the remit of this plan, it's something, like you say, to be developed and put on relevant councils' websites that are in uh, not just this area from Man Manchester, whatever. There's um, airports all around the country, isn't there? But um, I'm, I'm not sure it's necessarily... To well, I think, I think, in a sense, you can take your, your lead somewhat from uh, the government guidance. Um, I think if you look at paragraph 8.2 of our statement embedded within that is a link to the aviation 2050 green paper we've referred you in uh, that paragraph of our um, statement to paragraph 3.116 which is the one that says that uh, effectively given the government's priority to provide new homes it is unrealistic to expect that new homes will not be built in areas affected by aircraft noise to some extent uh, and I think that uh, Councillor Bennett, um, have I got that? No, I think it was probably, no, it was Mr. Mr. Andrew, uh, I think referred to paragraph 318, um, sorry, three point, yes, 3.118, which deals with uh, the um, position in relation to uh, the uh, uh, position on overflight and the provision of information but of course if the government wanted to go further than that at this stage in their green paper and say effectively that one shouldn't uh, provide housing uh, in proximity to existing flight paths they would have taken that opportunity they clearly haven't done so uh, and in a sense one can't really go beyond where they are in terms of how this this local plan should respond. Yeah, and presumably that would sterilise quite large parts of the country and hence why they've probably chosen not to do that, isn't it? But, uh, yeah. Did you, did you want to make some, another point before Mr yeah. Andrew comes yeah. back? Yeah. 
I want you to come back partly on, on what Mr Andrews said about these statement of facts. Just on, I don't want to get into, obviously, into the Stansted planning application for expansion, but it was stated as fact that there, will, that there could today be 274,000 flights coming out of Stansted. That's sort of true, but it's not true, because the reality is that at the moment... Stansted itself has said that uh, it could satisfy the current number of passengers with 205,900 flights. Add, to, add the current 10,000 cargo flights out of the 20,000 allowance and 10,000 miscellaneous flights gives 225,000 flights, which is the real top level that will be flying out of Stansted under the current planning application. What the new planning application does is allow them to bring all of the little lumps, all the different types of flights together so they can now utilise the 10,000 unused cargo flights into passenger flights. So the reality is it will go from 225,000 to 274,000 under the new planning application. Um, the other point is that um, I, I welcome people being warned that, uh, that they're by developers that they will be living under the flight path. I somehow doubt they'll do it other than, other than paragraph 99, subsection 75, somewhere in the extremely small print. Um, but the comment, but the, what we're talking about there are only the departures. The NPRs are, are only departures out of Stansted. Arrivals are allowed to go wherever the airport believe it's, it's safest for them to travel. And it's the arrivals that actually travel lower over west of Braintree than departures because the arrivals tend to come in, the, the departures tend to get as high as they can, as quickly as they can, whereas the arrivals come under a much longer glide path and they'll be coming in over the west of Braintree at a lower height than the departures will. So that needs to be covered off as well. And the last thing to comment on is that the World Health Organization in October 2018 also reissued some new, updated their guidelines on what was safe and healthy for people to live under. And they've reduced their safe level of noise by 10 dBs. So that is not included anywhere in this. So there's a huge move at the moment to reduce, to, to understand the... the, the Average noise levels, which is what airports have historically measured, are completely useless. It's like firing a gun next to your ear and saying, well, the average noise over the day has been fine, hasn't it? The fact you're deafened by that one gunshot is not measured. What's important are peaks, not averages. And there's a, big, there's a beginning of a move towards understanding that, but only the beginning. But as I say, refer back to those government guidelines that say that you would not be able to put these flight paths over an existing area of housing. So how can you possibly allow the building of, of the houses, the reverse of that, the building of those houses? It's just a distortion and a, and a misuse of, of guidance to allow that to happen. Thank you. Mr Andrew. Yeah, conscious of, of drifting from, um, from the, the matter at hand through, through aviation noise, which is, um, as I say, quite a lengthy, lengthy discussion. I think the best thing to do is to summarise sort of quickly that um, the issue of, of overflight that um, Mr Bennett re refers to um, is a consideration for, for airspace. Sorry to butt in. Could you just turn yours off? They're having trouble hearing up here. Thanks. Is a, is a consideration for airspace design, but that's cur currently a, a, a second issue, and I did say I'll perhaps refer to this. So I think, j just so the inspectors are clear, uh, and the Uttersford's statement, as, as do ours, does refer to this, we are 
having to, as a nation, all national airports are having to go through airspace change. Um, and the government have made it exceptionally clear that um, the airspace, which is uh, still operating on uh, exceptionally old technology, um, does need to, to modernise. And so we are... Um, and I say we in terms of the southern airports in the UK as much as the northern airports because the system is divided up into, into halves, are at the very beginning of that process. Most of the airports have now put their statement of need into the CAA. Um, but um, um, as you'll find appended to, uh, to my statement, um, I put a flowchart at the back demonstrating the length of that process. We are right at the very beginning of it. So um, that's why I wanted to just draw, draw attention to, uh, to, the, to the facts that you've got in, in front of you, um, which are um, the noise preferential routes controlled by, um, by the government, and that's, that's the decision you've, you've really got to, uh, uh, to make in relation to local plans, what you've got to make your decision on. Because airspace changes will take time to come through, and we don't know what the outcome will be at this stage, and is subject to a whole host of community consultation. Um, uh, so that's, that's a lengthy process. Um, I'm not going to, uh, to dwell too much on this um, point about making information available to, to, um, to new homeowners, but as I said earlier, the whole process has to start somewhere, and the fact that the plan is silent does, does, does concern us, because ultimately it's, it's us as the airport that have to then field all the, uh, all the complaints, and yet you know, I have some sympathy with Mr Bennett's point that actually we are putting uh, potentially housing under flight paths and uh, not drawing anyone's attention to it, but I'll leave it at that. Um, not dwell any further. Uh, the other final point, just to, to close really on, the, on points made, the uh, WHO guidance to which Mr Bennett referred um, is, um, is World Health Organisation guidance. It is not UK aviation policy and uh, currently the government have been exceptionally clear in Aviation 2050 that they have some doubts about the validity of some of the uh, um, research that had gone into forming some of those opinions. Now, whether, whether the opinion of that is right or wrong, that is uh, currently set out in the Green Paper. And so uh, um, the, uh, there are other documents uh, from the CAA um, and uh, from, from the government themselves which are much clearer on what the lowest observable effect level is, which I mentioned earlier, is 54 decibels. Thank you. So I think in response to the question that I posed, I think it's clear that the council have taken it into account and um, have considered it and the noise contours. It was quite clear from um, the statement that you submitted. I think has that covered all the points that everybody wants to make? Okay. Are there any other points anybody wants to make on West of Braintree that have not been covered now? Mr. Martin. <coughs> where I found the plan that I handed you, it's actually... Um, a link in the council's uh, statement, the matter eight, on page 16, paragraph 19.2, it gives the land budget for the uh, Andrews Field Master Plan and the Boxley Wood Land Use Plan. That's where I found it. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, so we'll close for today and um, see some of you again at 9:30 tomorrow. So just a reminder that um, we'll do matter six first thing and then potentially from 11 o'clock onwards, depending on where we get to, um, will be Eastern Park. Okay, thank you. Uh, Madam, as I think I made clear earlier, you won't be seeing me tomorrow, you'll be seeing Mr Ranatunga, who's sitting at, at the back. Okay, thanks for your help. Thank you.